You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for the end of the most tedious, hardest to get through month in every month we have of the year. We're talking about bad movie month. We have toughed it out through the adventures of Pluto Nash and the Emoji Movie and Cat and Hat last week. And we've saved the best or the worst for last. Not entirely sure, uh, but we've saved the, the most bizarre for last, as far as I'm concerned. And to be more bizarre than the cat in the hat, that's saying something. We're here to talk about The Book of Henry. And uh, this movie is probably the one that most people have not heard of, and I would almost guarantee you have not seen. But I would encourage people, before we even start, you need to watch this movie, because we are going to spoil one of the most ridiculous twists, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, in the history of movies. Uh, and it's not pleasant as far as I'm concerned. This is the movie that uh, I guess went down in history as killing Colin Trevorrow's career. Fresh off the success of Jurassic World, he was hired to do Star Wars Episode Nine, And then the Book of Henry came out and they canned him. And uh, with good reason. So we're going to have a blast on this one today because this was the one I've been most excited about. My name is Colin and I want to be remembered as the most awesomest dodgeball player ever. And my name is Ben, and will you at least eat the brownie? <laughs> the quotes in this movie, wow. <laughs> the most quotable movie I've ever watched in my life. That was the most <laughs> iconic quote that will go down in history with the best movie quotes ever in movie history. Um, again, I'm going to give a warning to people before we start this. If you've not seen The Book of Henry, go watch it now. Um <laughs> Because you're in for a treat. <laughs> uh, but if you really don't care about being spoiled, uh, we're going to spoil this right off the bat. Um, if everybody remembers those nice, feel-good 90s, early 2000s movies involving kids and, uh, I guess, death and <laughs> um, all those fun things, this is sort of in the vein of pay it forward, I would say. Um, maybe little bits of like Forever Young thrown in there, which was a, a Mel Gibson movie. Uh, if you take the kids out of the equation, it's maybe similar to Phenomenon, a great movie that John Travolta made. Uh, but this one's got a twist to it, a twist that you will not see coming uh, because it doesn't even hit the movie until halfway through and then the entire movie changes. So uh, let's just, before we start, read the synopsis that anybody who did pay to see this movie, which is not many of you, uh, would have gone in knowing. IMDb says, with instructions from her genius son's carefully crafted notebook, a single mother sets out to rescue a young girl from the hands of her abusive stepfather, which is a more subtle way of saying this is a movie about a genius boy who dies suddenly and leaves a notebook detailing that his mother should kill their neighbor who is sexually abusing his teenage daughter. <laughs> feel good. Feel good movie of the week. Movie- it, it's so weird. Like, th- there are so many levels that this movie is wrong. The way it's presented is as one of these feel-good movies. Like, there isn't one moment in this movie where they're not trying to get all sappy and emotional. And yet, it's it's a story about a genius boy leaving instructions for his mother to murder a man. <laughs> <laughs> Who, at the time, can I just and, point out, there's no evidence, really, that he's doing exactly. anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean... Throughout the entire movie itself, you could still speculate there's no evidence. <laughs> We're not showing anything in this movie. Um, it's just a truly bizarre... Uh, I wouldn't even say bizarre. I, I feel like this is 
two movies. The first half you could just say is one of these movies about you know a genius boy who wants to do good and wants to help people. You know, similar to something like Pay It Forward um, or Phenomenon or something like that. And then the second half is a movie almost like a murder mystery in a way. Uh, film noir, even though it never takes on the tone of being a film noir, it still presents itself as like this sappy kids movie. Uh, but it just suddenly becomes a murder story. And going through the history here, we were in the middle of recording Bad Movie Month. What would you do that? What in August? Oh, yeah, it was about then, wasn't it? Yep, yep, you're right. Yeah, we're in the middle of it, and I think we're just up to the room. And having just watched the room, I wasn't looking for anything weird. We just we subscribed to the movie channels over the summer, um, and it shows like all the I guess newest movies that hit there. I didn't get it for the Book of Henry, but I figured we'd keep it for a month, and as long as we had, I'd record as many on the PVR as I could, and then watch them later. I decided to watch the Book of Henry because I was curious. I'm like, it doesn't sound like a bad movie. It doesn't look like a bad movie. Um, it's got the guy who made Jurassic World, who was supposed to make Star Wars. This will at least be interesting. And the greatest thing ever happened when I was watching this. 30, 40 minutes into the movie, I turned to Jamie and said, this is really boring. Let's watch something else. And she said, well, now I'm curious to see what happened. I would have deleted this off my PVR and never gotten the treat of murder the neighbor mom. (laughs) And when I kept watching, I'm just like, what is going on in this movie? And it just gets more and more absurd. I mean, I don't know if it, it's, it's partly because of the tone of this movie that they wanted to present it to kids so that they leave so many things unsaid, but it plays like something that just has a million plot holes and just the most idiotic characters on the planet. I mean, nothing in this movie is subtle. None of the bad characters are subtle at all. None of the good characters are subtle. It's just it's an overdose on everything. And all I can say is, like, thank you, Lucasfilm, for firing Colin Trevor from Star Episode Nine because... Between that and then what we got with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I mean, this guy's got a couple screws loose with the twists he have. I mean, I think in some ways this tops the clone little girl from Fallen Kingdom. Like, he, he's just an absurd writer and absurd filmmaker. But, I mean, let's be fair. Could he have done any worse than Ryan Johnson? Yeah, <laughs> maybe fair enough. <laughs> I mean, at least there were parts of Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom and Jurassic World that we enjoyed, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Your history with this movie? Nothing. Oh, literally none. I had not, like, you put this on the bad movie month, and I think you had mentioned this when we had talked about episode nine, and also I think when we had talked about uh, Fallen Kingdom in the past, and I just, you know, I'm like a sieve, it just goes straight in and straight out. I didn't really retain that information. So when you said, like, oh, we're going to do The Book of Henry, this is a movie that cost Colin Trevorrow from doing Star Wars, and we're like, oh, okay, cool. And I think I maybe just Googled it quickly, saw a poster, and I'm like, oh, it's like about a boy who flies a plane or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And I never looked up. I didn't watch any trailer. I didn't read any synopsis about it. So this is probably the first movie I've ever come into on this show literally knowing nothing about. I absolutely knew nothing about this and had no idea what it was about. And I kind of, you know, the day of watching, I think, like, oh, maybe I should look this up. And I'm like, nah, nah, I'm just going to go into this and, you know, expect to you know, a movie. I thought, honestly, it was like a religious movie, like the Book of Henry. It sounds like Bible-ish or something like that. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I watched this. I, I said to Mallory, I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this movie. She's like, all right, I'll watch it with you. <laughs> and I just want to point out that Mallory said she would give this a solid rent, and she cried Aww. throughout most of this film. And so was I, but for different reasons. But uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to expect, and you warned me, and... 
Yeah, I just I, I still don't know what to think of this movie. I mean, one of the biggest surprising bits too is that Sarah Silverman can act. Uh, she's not just a comedian. That's a that's a strange thing. And Dean Norris always plays the same character in everything he's ever in. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so this movie came out in 2017. So Colin Trevor had had Jurassic World two years earlier, and. Um, at the time that this movie came out, he, of course, had already been hired to do Jurassic, or not Jurassic World. He wrote Jurassic World, produced it, but didn't direct it because he was like, I'm going to keep my options open because I'm doing Star Wars. <laughs> um, can't wait to see what he's doing now. I'm glad you brought up the poster, too, because I didn't know anything about this movie. I, I you know, when Jurassic World came out, and especially once he was hired for Star Wars, I kind of clicked on his filmography just to see, you know, what's this guy doing? What has he done? And I knew this movie was going to be coming out for a long time, but again, knew nothing about it. And then it just sort of was released one week and I had like no anticipation about it. I didn't know it was coming out and I didn't even watch a trailer. I just sort of like you did looked at the poster and the poster is the boy who dies halfway through the movie, the main character, I guess, uh, wearing this old school pilot's helmet and goggles and I kind of thought, well, this is going to be like a quirky movie about a kid inventor or something like that. Um, but the, the poster itself, I mean, granted, there's nothing else in this movie that you could have promoted this movie on to get people interested that wasn't giving away the great twist that they thought they had other than this image. But that image literally comes from a 30-second clip of the movie that has no relevance to the plot. And this is the poster image. This is what they promoted it on. Um, uh, I, I can't wait to talk about the box office because we're a far cry from Jurassic World here. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Uh, should we just get into it and get this over with? Yeah, please. Uh, you know, are we keeping this under okay. an hour again? I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I think we're going to have so many moments of rage that I have this movie <laughs> that we're going to struggle to keep it under an hour. Uh, but uh, I have a ton of notes for this. And, and this is the funniest thing. We're going to get to the big twist, the murder twist that comes halfway through the movie. But even before it gets there, like I said, I said this movie was boring and wanted to turn it off. It's not so boring. I think it is even for the first half, you know, it's it's not terrible. It's just like you don't care. But there's absurd stuff even in the first half of this movie that just angered me. But uh, just starting off with the, the opening credits, which basically play over kids' drawings in a notebook that gives away the entire plot. Uh, I don't know if when you were watching it, were you picking up on any of this stuff? Were you looking for it? Because I just breezed by it. I didn't even pay attention when I first saw this. I think I was falling asleep. I think this movie is boring <laughs> at the beginning. And I was thinking, like, <laughs> is this like a James Bond introduction? Because it even comes up with a song like, Your Hand Will Never Let Go, performed by Stevie Nicks. Like, it's just like a James <laughs> Bond introduction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the opening credits, I guess they're kind of clever. But once you've seen the movie, it does give away the entire plot. Um, then the opening sequence starts, which is just the narration from the dead boy. Um, what is his name in this movie? Henry. Henry. That's right, because it's the Book of Henry. Why? It's called the Book of Henry. <laughs> no, I think he says book. Uh... Ben, I've seen this twice, and I'm the one who recommended it, and Ben's paying more attention. What's his name? Uh, Henry. <laughs> you know when I watch movies like right. Borat and Bruno, the halfway through, I'm like, what's the guy's name in this movie? <laughs> I've been calling this the Book of Henry. Um, I've been promoting this as the Book of Henry, and I've been calling him the dead kid for the first 10 minutes of this podcast. So Henry is sort of narrating the opening of this movie, and uh, we're just seeing a bunch of clips of kids on the bus, and some of the stuff even right away is really over the top. Like, he's kind of illustrating, oh, there are bad people and good people, and you see, like, 
a kid trip a kid on the bus and then two other kids come to help him up. And then you see the cross-eyed kid, the freestyle rapper we see later in the movie, who just gets his face pushed into his sandwich and basically does nothing to sell it at all. And then we cut immediately to the uh, what do you want to be, or I can't remember what this is uh, actually called, like what what is your legacy, their assignment in school. So this boy's supposed to be 11, which I guess would put him in about the fifth or sixth grade here. And this cross-eyed kid, the, the freestyle rapper, uh, let's just call him Eminem. Uh, so Eminem, call him who got Henry. his face in the sandwich. <laughs> let's call him Henry. <laughs> Everybody's Henry in this, but Henry, he's dead kid. <laughs> uh, so um, freestyle Henry. Uh, so, uh, he's coming right off getting his face pushed in a sandwich, and he's the first one to deliver what is my legacy. And I just want to point out, there's no way this kid's 11. There's no way that he's even like seven. I mean, this kid is like significantly younger than all the other kids in the class. And he's just detailing, it's like, I want to be remembered as the most awesomest dodgeball player ever. And that's my legacy. And then the teacher's like, good, simple, but good. And then uh, the, the, I was going to call him the dead kid again. <laughs> Henry. <laughs> Henry's the next one, and he's just, you can tell, already bored. And this is where my annoyance with this movie, even aside from the twists, immediately starts, is they just make this kid so obnoxiously, over-the-top, brilliant and uh, introspective. And it's every character's reaction to him that bothers me, because he's basically talking about like existential existence and... Uh, everything like that and uh, the teacher's just like in awe of him it's like Henry that was beautiful meanwhile he's he's basically just telling people like do the best you can like he's basically giving us nothing this is like you know the the, the criticism that, that people had with Barack Obama when he's running for president it's like he's got a lot of motivational words but he's not really saying what he's going to do and this is what Henry's saying do the best you can with your existential exist I can't even say it um, he says nothing at all and the teacher's like that was beautiful and she stops him as he leaves the class. And one of the areas where I, again, get annoyed with him, and she's like, why won't you let us skip you to other grades? It's better for my psychosocial development, um, which I'm just going to say him being held back in school or not even held back, but just going with the rest of the class is what led him to being a psychosociopath. <laughs> I mean, this kid is a villain in any other movie. Uh, we cut to him at the house. He's got a little brother. Uh, the little brother's cool. Uh, he was you. This isn't the room that we talked about last bad movie month, but the movie Room. Are you familiar with that? Um, is it the prequel to the Room? Because they removed the the. No, no, no so, idea. Although there, it was great, just uh, tying into another one of our episodes um, when we were doing the Amazing Race Canada coverage, and our biggest fan, Martina uh, from Martina and Phil, she was a contestant on the show, so we would give her every single week. We say these are the Martina questions of the week, and she would answer us on Twitter after listening to our episode every single week. And we asked her when we were covering the room, like, have you seen the room? And she goes, great movie about the girl and her little boy trapped in the, the shelter, <laughs> which it, room is an Oscar winning movie about a woman who's kidnapped and raped. And her, she raises a son in a single room, basically like a cell trapped away for his entire life. This is the little boy from that movie. Who's fantastic. Uh, and I like him a lot better than Henry because Henry's just like pretentious and, you know, uh, obnoxious and over the top. And too smart and a sociopath. Uh, but um, they're playing at home and they're trying to build a gadget. And uh, he's saying, uh, I want to build a flying trampoline. <laughs> this kid's having fun at least. Or rocket boots. Um, and then they go to their little clubhouse. 
uh, where they have a cupcake making machine, which again defies all logic because this cupcake icing is basically outside and they ice cupcakes with some gadget that's been out there for who knows how many months. Like that icing went bad after 24 hours. Like these kids should have food poisoning by now. Uh, we see him at home. His mom is Naomi Watts, who is usually great and definitely not in this movie. And he's trying to go over the financing with her. Again, it's just annoying how much they cram down your throat. Like every moment of this movie is just, look at how brilliant this kid is. And the mom just does nothing. She's sitting there playing video games. Like, okay, well, did you uh, look at your financial statement for this? And she's like, oh, no, I got him. And she's killing guys in Halo or something like that. Um, And she's still working shifts at her restaurant. I'm going to go through it. This is a ton of the movie here. Uh, He says, why are you even working? Which is the first thing we get that they have $680,000 in the bank. And this mom wants to work as a waitress. Not only is she working as a waitress, she's working like split shifts. She's working like evening shifts you know, overnight, whatever. Um, there's uh, introduction to the neighbor, Dean Norris, like you said, the child molester. Um, he's complaining that the unraked leaves in Naomi Watts' yard keep blowing into his. Uh, we get introduced to Sarah Silverman, like you said, at the restaurant, who's her friend, um, who, uh, as one of the patrons of the restaurant, is staring at her very, very deep cleavage that we see um, with her massive flowered tattoo on her boob, and she goes, my boobs are up here and points at her eyes, which was kind of funny. But this, again, is just another annoyance I have in the movie because I understand, like, you know, especially like the, the Me Too thing going on or whatever. It's like, you know, don't objectify a woman by staring at her cleavage. But if this woman has, like, everything hanging out and she has tattooed a very elaborate design on her boob. There's no way she's going to do that and show it if she doesn't want people looking at it. And she's going to look up here, buddy. <laughs> Oh, it's just annoying. Uh, we go to the school. The bully of the school takes the medal that uh, Henry had given uh, his little brother. And uh, another annoyance of this movie, just how every character has to constantly talk. This is what I talked about in Titanic. Every character has to oversell how great the lead character is. And his little brother is getting beaten up. And this bully is basically saying, you know, your brother's a loser. At least you're smart. <laughs> now, in what world is the smart genius kid who's pretentious and the teacher's pet and has no friends. In what world are the bullies like, I like you, just not your brother who's done nothing wrong? Like, Henry is the kid who in any other movie is going to get beaten up, but they're, they're trying so hard to make you like him and, and make this such a sappy emotional story that they're just overdoing it with him. Um, uh, let's just uh, quickly go through this here. Uh, Henry has a little bit of a feud with Sarah Silverman, which comes up later, which is completely pointless until she gets inappropriate and almost molests him. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And Henry uh, is getting a headache in the middle of the night, so he wakes up, and he spies on his neighbor, which in a movie that's all about inappropriateness that that the actual neighbor, Dean Norris, has with his teenage daughter, uh, Henry's spying on a little girl in her room in the middle of the night. (laughs) And what do we get? We get her playing with some type of ballerina toy that she's flashing a flashlight against. And then her stepdad starts coming up the stairs and we get the most overly dramatic music in the history of movies playing as Henry's jaw drops (laughs) because she shuts the light off quickly. And that's when he clues in child molester. (laughs) Nobody is going to be playing with lights in their room when they're not supposed to be, when they're supposed to be in bed, have their parents come up the stairs and turn on the lights unless they're being sexually <laughs> assaulted. This is the premise of the movie. 
all she does is turn off the light, and he's immediately jumping to conclusions. So there's a whole lot going on in the opening of this movie, but that's the entire premise. It's like you think about TV shows and movies where you've got like that obnoxiously smart kid who is a pain in the ass, but there's something redeeming about him. I mean, you know, straight away you think of Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. He's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. He's obnoxious, but you love him because you know he's funny it's, at least. Yeah, it's funny. Um, and even like young Sheldon gets a lot of criticism because they like you know this kid just takes away sort of from that joy that Sheldon has in The Big Bang Theory. But I mean, if you watch The Big Bang Theory you can kind of compliment it with it. There's there's nothing redeeming about this Henry kid. He is an annoying little shit. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, yes, he probably should be getting bullied. I want to bully this kid, and I'm not a bully. I used to get <laughs> bullied. Like, I hate bullies. I want to bully him. <laughs> I hate bullies, but I want to bully this kid. Um, but, yeah, I... I I mean, the thing that I'm just not understanding, like, at any point in this movie, I'm just, like, going, like, okay, well, what's the point of this film? <laughs> like, he knows everything. Um, his mum plays video games, and his brother's there, and then, you know, his neighbour, you know, Hank from the, from Breaking Bad. I'm just going to call him Hank, because that's who he is to me, and everybody who's ever watched Breaking Bad is anal because the leaves are on the front yard. Um, and... Yeah, I just don't know. Like, it's just such a long setup that is boring at this point. And, I mean, I like Sarah Silverman. I've never seen her in a dramatic role, and she actually does quite well um, in this movie. It's kind of like when I saw um, uh, uh, Chris Tucker in Silver Linings Playbook. It's kind of like, wow, okay, mm. they actually can act. Like, you know, not saying that they couldn't act, but you're not used to seeing them in that type of role. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just odd because when it all leads up essentially to him staring through the window and, as you said, being so dramatic. Like, we've all, I think, at some point in our lives been told, like, Colin, go to bed. It's past your bedtime. Yeah. You've gone into bed and you've kept, like, a torch on or a flashlight on and you're reading a book or you're playing with something. And then all of a sudden you hear your parents walking down the hallway. So you quickly, shit, 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 shit. So you turn the light off and, I'm asleep. (laughs) Yeah. and, And straight away, because it's... I guess 2017 when this movie said, oh, child molester. Uh, (laughs) It's, I mean, I don't want to, maybe I do want to say this. I kind of feel like Dean Norris is innocent this whole movie because like, well, I'm just going to say the reason he kills himself is not because he's guilty. It's because he knows that these allegations will stick no matter what is the truth or not. So he kills himself (laughs) because he's a police commissioner. (laughs) There's no evidence in this movie that he's doing anything. And they they turn around and they're like, oh, but because he's a police commissioner and his brother works for the, you know, support agency and he's going to be well protected. Like, at the end of the day, enough allegations are made that people are going to investigate him, so it doesn't matter who he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyway, I'm jumping way ahead. Uh, Go ahead, talk. I don't care. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, I think there's a valid point to what you're saying. I mean, I'm not saying that in this movie, in this story, oh, this girl's, you know, not being lost. Because she never says anything in this movie. She never goes to somebody and says, this is what's happening. Um, But it is clear that the movie very subtly, very subtly, uh, tries to lay the groundwork that he actually did did do this with, like, his brother intervening later on uh, and the fact that he does kill himself later. And the fact that the girl never corrects him and says, he never did anything to me. But the problem, this is where... I have, I have a problem. This movie is actually made for kids. And you can tell that they danced around certain things. Like, let's just have her turning the light off. And then he's like, oh, she must have been molested. The movie never even comes out and ha- has Henry say, I saw him do something to her. 
they imply it by, you know, uh, Naomi Watts saying later on, uh, he detailed everything in his notebook. But there's no evidence presented to the audience in this movie. And the reason for that is probably because they wanted this to be a movie that kids could watch. But you also have to watch this movie as an adult or even as a kid and say, the movie never told us or gave us evidence of anything. So these characters going so far as to say, I will kill a man, are acting completely rashly. And it, that it's makes absurd. it more disturbing for me that if this is a kid's movie, that they basically set this motion into play that this kid is allowing his mother to kill someone. Like, mm-hmm. And you mentioned about him being a psychopath. Well, let's be honest, if he doesn't die halfway through the movie, this kid is doing this. So like, he mm-hmm. is kind of this stereotypical psychopath who is going to go down a path of murdering someone. Um, <laughs> like, it's just... Uh, who is this kid anyway? Uh, Jaden Lie Ber- Berher? Dead boy. Dead boy. <laughs> Henry. <laughs> uh, yeah, who I, is he? I don't... I think uh, by looking he was in It. I've not seen the new It. Um, uh, I so have, and I don't recognise him from it. He played Bill Denbro. Um, so, yep. Oh, uh, he so was... he's like the the lead boy in it. He was also in St. Vincent with Naomi Watts. Oh, there you go. Um, he was in the television show Masters of Sex. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Where he was also ratting people out for <laughs> child um, abuse. Yeah, like, and you mentioned about Nicole Kidman. Uh, Nicole Kidman. I'm calling her Nicole Kidman. <laughs> <laughs> Started already. Poor woman, Nicole Kidman, Naomi Watts. Um, like I like Naomi Watts. I mean, proud Australian. Like we all love Naomi Watts, but yeah, she's just odd in this film. Like, um, I've seen her in some really good things. I mean, she's a great actress, and like I didn't walk out of this thinking like, oh, well, at least she was a good actress in this movie. I mean, she's not a bad actress, but just yeah, yeah, it's just it's just odd, and like. Dean Norris, like, I, you know, huge Breaking Bad fan. And, I mean, even outside of Breaking Bad, though, like, he legitimately always plays a cop or a military person mm. or a, you know, something like that. Child molester. Yeah, child molester. I mean, you look <laughs> at his IMDb page. Captain Peterson, Sergeant Don Henderson, Special Agent <laughs> Brendan Johnson. Uh, just, like, every single thing is some form of law enforcement agency. But, I mean, he f- he fits that role very well. Um mm. But yeah, it's just it's just odd. I wonder if like he deliberately took this role kind of because like, oh, you know, I was the good sort of cop guy hunting down people in Breaking Bad and then he kind of went against that type when he was in um oh, what was that dumb show, Under the Dome. Under uh, the Dome. Which- that is, I think, a metaphor for this movie starts... Actually, no, not even a metaphor, because, like, Under the Dome at least kind of had some promise at the beginning, and you wanted to keep watching it. Then about three episodes in, you're like, okay, I'm sick of this now. Can they remove the dome? Yeah. Five seasons later, <laughs> oh, they're still under the dome. Okay. <laughs> we got six more years to go with this. <laughs> anyway, the, yeah, I, I really don't know what else to add. I mean, um, it's just, it's like... They're trying to paint this boy out like... I mean, why, why is Naomi Watts so incapable of running a budget? Or, yes. like, like I don't... Like, it's never explained. And, like, there's, what, like, a throwaway line at some point about her ex, like, leaving something? Like, couldn't we have... You know, I think, like, there's elements of this storyline which would have made more sense. Like, Henry seems to hate violence so much and kind of, you know, he's very anti... Like, I'm not saying that most people out there shouldn't hate violence, but, like, why mm. not have a plot line that you know, maybe their dad abused Naomi Watts or something like that. So that shows why, like, he's so, yeah. you know, he's doing this because he w- couldn't protect his mum, so he's trying to protect someone else or something like that. Like, put something in there that at least makes his sense because 
Otherwise, it just, again, it comes across as this kid just jumping to conclusions because it's 2017. <laughs> the light's gone off. Oh, no, he's touching her inappropriately. Yeah. Uh, it is this, to the audience, all he does is jump to conclusions because they never come out. If his book did detail other forms of abuse, the movie never tells you. Mm. The only things it tells you is that I saw you know, her turn out the light. And then they talk about a lot of other stuff. Like, well, I'll get to that later in the movie. They talk about stuff. They, they, they never show you in the movie. So, again, to the audience who's just watching this, it, it, it does feel like they're jumping to conclusions. Now, an audience is just going to follow them whatever they're, they're doing, you know, and, but it's just, it's so, so bizarre. Um, <laughs> I just, I just want to point out, too, like, kind of with what I, at least I'm saying about, you know, saying that Dean Norris's character is innocent. In, in no way am I trying to say, like, hey, you know, the people accused are always innocent. I'm not. Like, kind of yeah. going back to the point you said where you said she doesn't say anything. And, again, like, that's often is the case. People don't say things mm-hmm. uh, until many years later and kind of I, I understand that. But, like, it, I think the problem with this film and what it's trying to portray, and maybe it comes down to what you said about this sort of being a kid's movie, it's not like she even, like, implies that something's happening and it kind of, it all comes down to this yeah. ballerina performance at the end when that's when the teacher makes the call <laughs> because she's crying. But, like, really? How? Like, she's just doing an emotional dance to an emotional piece of music. This is Maddie Ziegler or whatever her name is. Like, you made a name for herself for doing dances like that and see a movie, uh, see a film clips. Every time I see her in, like, Chandelier and all those other film clips, I'm not thinking, like, fuck, she's getting abused by Sia. Like, call the police. <laughs> Like, she's an interpretive dancer. That's what they do. They get emotional. But for some reason, this is implied that she's getting abused. Call the cops. <laughs> like, and like, again, for, for anybody something listening. something in this movie that she kind of implies that she's getting abused. And then that way, I think yeah. it's a little bit more believable. Again, we're not saying, oh, he never abused her in this movie. It's yeah. just the movie never makes anything clear. Like, it's funny. For a movie where none of the characters are subtle at all, Everything in the story is way too subtle. And I mean, I can, both of us can pick up on subtle hints in movies. This goes beyond being subtle. And to go along with what you're saying about Naomi Watts' character, when all the other characters are like way too extreme in whatever they're supposed to be, Naomi Watts' character has zero development whatsoever. And it actually leaves you, because of how subtle her development is, just jumping to conclusions yourself. Like, okay, is she letting the kid do everything like the finances and all that because he's good at it. Well, if that's the case, she'd be wanting to learn it. Or you jump to the conclusion, like she's just dumb. <laughs> like there are people, and I'm not, you know, uh, talking down or anything. I'm just saying there, there are people, there are adults out there who do not have the mental capacity to do things like budgeting. And maybe if, if the movie had ever come out and actually said that about her and said, you know, I couldn't manage things on my own, you know, or, or implied that maybe she had a lower IQ. Um, if they presented her as like a Forrest Gump character who just didn't get everything, but they present her like a completely normal person. So when the son's doing everything and then the movie goes even further to the point where we'll get to it later, where, where she needs to make decisions that are life and death for him. It's like, uh, I need to ask Henry. It's like, Henry's unconscious. Make a decision woman. <laughs> it's just, it's, it makes her seem so stupid. Yeah. I agree. Completely agree. Uh, I love to point out here on Wikipedia too when they're trying to, uh, you know, in the plot section, point out that poor old little uh, Christina next door is sad. It's got Henry and Susan are both fond of their next door neighbour and Henry's classmate Christina Sickleman, who has recently become glum. And everyone knows that if you become glum, your dad's touching you on the 
bum? Like, I don't know. Well, <laughs> no, but if you also switch off the lights when you're playing mm. in bed at night and you're not supposed to, and you do really sad interpretive dancing, yep. you put three and three together. <laughs> I believe that's what social services, it's their checklist. Like, okay, they're glum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they turn the lights off at night. Oh my God, they're doing interpretive dances. They're being sexually abused. <laughs> Call the cops. This movie's just absurd. And uh, I feel like as we're describing this, that people are going to think we're making light of this if it were a real situation. No, we're making light of a movie that just presents it in such a idiotic way yeah and we're not alone like when we get to the critics in the end like everybody's opinion of this movie is exactly even people who enjoyed the movie will have the same opinion they'll say this movie just it it doesn't do itself any justice it's it it's too extreme from one to the next yeah and yeah i i'm exactly agree with you say no way are we making lighter situations like this it's just it's just it's exactly how it's portrayed it just it it makes no sense, I guess, in what they do. And like we've already pointed out a few occasions or well, a few little things that just put a little bit here or there. And then that way it's, you know, like we defended Cal Hockley in Titanic, but at least we can see that why the audience thinks he's an asshole and why the yeah. audience hate him. We're just pointing out that they're wrong and that he's actually not that bad yeah. of a guy, except for the bit when he hits Rose. But it was 1912. You're allowed to do that back then. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Um, okay, so when Henry gets to school, uh, he's noticing that uh, uh, little ballet girl, what's her name? Um, I'll just Christina. call her Little Sia. <laughs> Not dead girl. Uh, <laughs> when he's noticing she's sad even on the way to school and everything. And here's the other thing. She's sort of hiding her face. And again, it's you could say they're implying that she's covering a bruise because they talk about bruises later on. But they never show you the bruise. I'm glad that there was like, one. Like when they say that bruise, I'm thinking I didn't see a bruise. I'm thinking like, am I dumb? Yeah. But I'm glad you're saying you didn't see it either. No. <laughs> and and again, I think that that was just an attempt to try to make this movie, you know, uh, as friendly as possible for kids to see. But kids aren't going to get this subject matter. Period. So why go to such great lengths? Henry eventually storms out of class to go to the principal's office. Um, he's talking about bruises, which of course the audience scene there aren't really bruises. Uh, and he's saying, you know, when are you going to do anything about this? And the principal, who he's apparently gone to many times and said she's being abused, says, I can't just, you know, uh, file a, a case against the commissioner of police because you say you think something's happened. So right here, the principal is on his side. Now, if Henry really did have all this proof that Naomi Watts claims he does later on, would he not have gone to the principal when he's making his cases to the principal? Would he not have gone and said... I saw him touch her. He never said that. Therefore, I'm leaning towards the fact that Henry is just assuming everything here. And again, you can assume and be right. I mean, there are signs of her behavior not being right, but you don't jump to conclusions and say, kill this man based on assumptions. <laughs> um, we go and visit uh, uh, Sarah Silverman again, who didn't show up to work. She's extremely hungover. Uh, and this is where I'm just like, this is just like a bad lifetime movie because Going back to how none of the characters are subtle in this, here's this really, you think during the day, really fun woman, and then they introduce the thing that she's an alcoholic, and Henry's talking about you're enabling her, uh, and this has no relevance to anything else that happens in the movie. They just suddenly have a scene where Sheila is a severe drunk, and she's hungover, hungover and still drinking, like first thing in the morning or whatever. Um, it's just, it's just, it's not subtle at all. Uh, I keep going back to this, but for a story that is way too subtle, the characters 
are not subtle in any way. Uh, they go to the grocery store, and here's one of the scenes that annoys me most for two reasons. Um, one, as they're going down the shelves, uh, the brother and Naomi Watts are putting you know, some unhealthy treats into the shopping cart. And every time they put something unhealthy in, Henry reaches out, puts it back on the shelf, and picks up something else healthy and puts in there, which just makes me hate this kid more like... I mean, A, be a kid, present him that he has some tendencies of being a child still and wanting to be fun. And even as an adult, like, have you seen an adult do that? You're going to be like, man, you suck. (laughs) Have some fun. And all I wrote in my notes at this point was this kid really sucks because they're trying, trying so hard to cram down your throat how perfect he is that he'll even swap out the unhealthy food for the healthy food when nobody's looking. It's just annoying. Um, And then we see another one of the worst moments of this movie. Again, not worse because this type of stuff doesn't happen, but because it doesn't happen in this way. So obviously we have a guy in a grocery store literally shoving his wife or girlfriend or whatever against a glass case and smacking her. And he's getting incredibly physical with her. So here we're seeing real evidence of something happening and Henry's trying to act on her and his mom's saying, no, ignore it. It's the fact that a, I'm sure there are instances of this happening, but I would guarantee the majority of abuse cases are not this public. You're not going to have most wife beaters going out in public in the middle of a grocery store and punching their wife in the face. And if they did, I guarantee that nine times out of 10, somebody's going to stop. I was in Walmart right before Christmas and the line was moving really slowly. And there was a guy who kept yelling at the cashier saying, get somebody down here. Come on, let's move this along. And some guy just said, would you stop being abusive to the staff? And then he, he said, you don't have to be such a dick. <laughs> like, there were people standing up to a guy calling out cashiers. Did, did somebody and step in into just... then when they abuse that other guy? Would you stop being so abusive to the customers as well? <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody did a really sad dance. And, the authorities <laughs> were called. and they turned off a light and they were glum. <laughs> <gasps> Sexually abused! <laughs> Like, I'm sure there are instances of stuff like this happening, but the movie presents it as if this is such an everyday occurrence that everybody in the store is like, just don't look at it. If we didn't look at it, it didn't happen. And again, there are probably times where this happened, but it's just there's nothing subtle in this movie. Nobody in the store is doing anything about it. Like, you honestly think the staff would not, A, you wouldn't have some type of security guard in the store or even just a manager come up and say, hey, you can't do that. Or that somebody would pick up the phone. Henry is literally the only person who wants to step in in the entire world when a woman is being punched in the face, essentially, in a grocery store. Which just makes me hate him more. And it's not that he's doing anything wrong. It's the fact that this movie has to make everybody else so idiotic to tell you how great he is. And we have the, the one of the most important lines of the movie coming up um, where... Uh, he's asking his mom, you know, why didn't you do anything about it? And, uh, you know, she's talking about, well, I I didn't want things to get violent. Except it were already violent. (laughs) People (laughs) doing violence against other people in the store. I didn't want it to get violent. And then Henry says the most important line, uh, which will obviously come up halfway through the movie, although you wouldn't have any clue at this point, where he says violence may not be the worst thing in the world. Apathy is. Again, it just makes me hate him so much more stop being like this perfect smart kid that's in no way fun um he calls the uh child and family services um am i jumping ahead here oh no i'm not so he he calls them and he makes a case 
which again, there's a really annoying moment on the phone when um, you know he's saying, "I want to report a case of child abuse," and like, can I, like, can we have your address, please? And he's like, "I'm not going to give you my address. That's why I'm making an anonymous call." <laughs> you think the staff on these? lines aren't trained that this is anonymous or is this somebody on their first day who's like okay i need your name phone number address social security number <laughs> blood type <laughs> um send us a copy of your your driver's license or whatever else can we have your address like it's an anonymous line it's stupid um cfs co co comes to the house uh cfs in case anybody doesn't know is like child protective services in canada um and you don't know what it is at this point, but the guy who comes to the door is just sort of whispering to uh, the neighbor, to Dean Norris, uh, like and, and being very animated, like, okay, okay, got to be careful. And you don't hear any of this. It's just Henry again spying. Like, this kid's not only a peeping Tom. He just spies on all his neighbors. Uh, he's creepy. He's a sociopath. Uh, but he's perfect, isn't he? <laughs> and uh, then they bring the he, – he goes into the house. Basically, like, again, you're only seeing the video. Tells his stepdaughter something. Again, very animated. Don't don't say anything. She goes out. He basically shakes his hand and walks away. So it's washed, which you find out later on that this is his brother who worked for, as Henry turns the pamphlet over, his brother who is the, the caseworker or whatever. Uh, like that's not a conflict of interest, okay? Yeah. Now, it would be one thing if he called this anonymous line and got his brother, that his brother could then intervene. But this went through somebody in a call center who then presented it to their superior, to their superior, to their superior. And at no point did somebody say, we have um, a report against a guy named Sickleman. Let's give this to Agent Sickleman. <laughs> like, there is no way in the world anybody's ever going to let this guy investigate his own brother. It's a complete conflict of interest. Um, this movie's just, it's, it's, it's so idiotic, please. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, uh, little uh, Christina gives her ballet medal to the brother because his medal got broken. Uh, and here's something else that bothers me in this movie. The relationship between Naomi Watts and this girl. What is with their secret? Like, I don't ever want to see that secret handshake ever again. Hey, girl, what's going on? Like, it just it doesn't fit either of their characters at all that they have this secret gang handshake <laughs> together that they do nonstop in this movie. Um and, uh, oh, yeah, Naomi Watts has a, a nice little speech to her son. Uh, you know, stop being so academic. You know, well, you should pick up gambling or booze or something, <laughs> which is intended as a joke. But if you're following all the other hints in this movie, Naomi Watts is the dumbest human being on the planet and probably actually believes this. Um, uh, what else happens here? Uh, oh, yeah, we'll get right up to when he becomes dead boy. Um, <laughs> so he... Uh, he starts, I guess, building his book or whatever. He's just spying around town. One thing I will point out is the music is good. We're saying this with almost every movie this month. Uh, but Michael Giacchino, who did the score for this, uh, you know, probably most famous for, I guess, he started out doing uh, the, the music for the TV show Lost and then got into movies. You know, he's done a handful of Pixar movies. He did uh, Rogue One for Star Wars. He did Jurassic World. Uh, Mission Impossible 3 and 4 uh, maybe one of the best composers working today and uh, obviously because he'd worked with Colin Trevorrow in Jurassic World he did the Book of Henry I bet he's regretting it but um, <laughs> it is good music like especially the music in the sequence here where Henry's the montage of him 
going around and you know measuring things and spying on people it's nice um it's very intense it starts to shift the tone of the movie very drastically and then henry sees another one of the most over-the-top things how miraculous that this kid can always see a guy beating up his wife in public he walks in just at the right time as there's an illegal gun deal. He walks in the store and five seconds later, as he's hiding behind a shelf, sees an illegal gun deal. He went in there to see, is there a way to illegally get a gun? And within five seconds, there's an illegal gun deal between the clerk and somebody trying to buy an illegal weapon. <laughs> it's so convenient. Uh, and um, uh, he, he's putting stuff in his book, which is going to come up later. Um, there's a very bizarre ukulele solo from Naomi Watts. <laughs> Like, what was that? Uh, first of all, I think ukulele is like the dumbest instrument ever. <laughs> um, don't tell but, Mallory that. <laughs> oh, she plays the ukulele? She, she's I, gone I, on I tours with ukulele groups. Oh, sorry, Mallory. Uh, no, I don't think that the ukulele... Like, I have no problem with the instrument itself, but in settings like this where if somebody's doing it and it's, it's like a, a musical performance or part of something, but you see a person who's just jamming with a guitar like in the middle of nowhere... You know, that's one thing, but ukulele just does not fit something that you just sit there jamming in the middle of your kid's room. <laughs> it does not seem like a solo performance. Um, and then we get his seizure, uh, which, again, drastically shifts the tone of the movie from being this feel-good, quirky kids movie uh, with you know, undertones of sexual abuse to suddenly being a kid dying. And he goes to the hospital he sees a specialist, uh, and as he's going through a seizure being taken in, they're saying, we need you to sign this waiver that we can operate on your son. And Naomi Watts like, I can't sign anything without asking Henry. And he's unconscious, which again just leads you to believe she is the most useless, idiotic mother in the history of movies. Um, and eventually the doctor comes in and he tells Henry, you're going to die. Uh, I love that he gets approval to send the brother out. Like, is it okay if, uh, you know, uh, I uh, we send your brother out so we could talk? Don't you think he should be talking to the mom first and then the boy? He basically breaks it to both of them at the same time. He breaks it to an 11-year-old before even discussing with a parent that you're dying. And Henry has this miraculous way of diagnosing himself. I should have recognized the symptoms from the cardiomyology. So, uh, I hate this kid. <laughs> I'm glad he's going to be dead soon. <laughs> Uh, let me just power through this. Um, he, he diagnoses himself. The doctor is in awe. Sheila comes in and we get one of the other most bizarre scenes in the history of movies. As Sheila comes in to make peace with Henry since they've had this feud. And she gives him a kiss on the lips. Which is not like a motherly peck or an aunt-like peck. This is the closest thing we get to molestation in this movie. <laughs> It's just way too inappropriate. It's way more than the neighbor ever did to his daughter, at least from the audience's perspective. Uh, and uh, as Henry's about to die, he's giving finance tips. He tells his brother, make sure mom reads the book. Uh, and then he flops out of bed at night. I want to see the sky. I want to see the sky. And he dies. And that's it. Movie over, except we're not that lucky. Um, can I just ask a question? Why does he keep telling her, mom, you don't need to work anymore? Like, is it implied that she's rich? Because... They say that, yeah. Well, they imply it here, but coming up, they're going to state how much money they have. But, but I, just, I just didn't understand it, because this is the thing, like, 
is she rich because they like won the lottery or because the abusive ex-husband had left money? I don't know. <laughs> Let's imply mm-hmm. that he's abusive because probably he was. Um, yeah, I don't understand it. Um, and you, you mentioned about like the violence and sort of, yeah, I agree. Like people generally would step in in that situation. And I'm literally actually just read on my social media that on the day that we're recording this, there's a report that an ex-prime minister in Australia actually was on his walk and he stepped in to stop a domestic violence <laughs> case happening on the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, again, it's not going to happen everywhere, but more often than not, somebody in the store is at least going to be on the phone to the cops. Well, they they did like one of these video sort of things like on YouTube kind of, um, you know, showing sort of things that happen and, um, you know, certain stereotypes and that. And it was an interesting one because it was kind of showing how you'd have a hidden camera and you had like a couple in a park and it was a man and a woman. And if the man started like hitting the woman and abusing her, all these people came in and stepped in and kind of like, hey, dude, like leave her alone and I'm calling the cops. But they reversed the roles and had like the woman hitting the man and abusing him and everyone just kind of looked and laughed. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of one of these things where they proved that people generally step in, but obviously if it's a woman hitting a man, they're like, well, you know, it's not seen as real. It's just seen as a bit of a joke. Anyway, that's another kettle of fish. So, yeah, like, it's just, it's an odd thing. That, and, like, what town do they live in if no one's stepping in? It's like, oh, don't look, yeah. Henry, don't look. Like, no, I don't want things getting well, violent. Um, just to cut in for a second, because like, I, I feel like people will misinterpret, because I know I have read stories of cases where something like that's going on in public and nobody does anything. Um, but... Again, you're going to more often not at least have somebody discreetly calling the police. And we don't even see that. What's more annoying is that this guy is doing this. I'm more annoyed that there's a character that is this over the top. Because for this guy to do this in a grocery store, that would imply that he is used to, he doesn't He doesn't care. Either he doesn't care that somebody's going to call the cops, which doesn't make sense. Because he's not like he's this massive guy. Or that he's comfortable doing this because he does this everywhere. So we're supposed to believe that this guy has literally been all over town, probably does this every single day because he's bold enough to do it in public and nobody has ever st- – it's not just this one story. It's the fact that the way this character is presented is if nobody in the history of mankind has ever stepped in if he's you know punching his wife in public. You know, I actually think there's a level of blame that we can put on society. Like here we are saying like in real life people would step in and kind of do this. And I, I've got to say, Colin – I probably disagree that, you know, we've got some clear evidence in the past that the public didn't step in and stop something when it happened. You know, um, just to point it out, at, at least 17 years ago, we sat there and w- witnessed somebody say, I don't like sand, it's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating, <laughs> and it gets everywhere. And we had an opportunity to step in then and stop George Lucas from making another Star Wars film, but we didn't. And then we got Revenge of the Sith and it turned out to be a brilliant film. But my point is, I've made the reference in this episode and I found a good segue of doing it. Moving on. Um, but, oh, what, what else is happening here? Um, oh, yeah, when you're right, like he's the only uh, child support person in town, just happens to be his brother. But even even then, like when he's watching through the window and we see this guy knocking on the door and we just see Dean Norris walk into the room and just kind of grab little Sia and say something. Like, why isn't she terrified? Why isn't she like, oh, I'm getting helped? And he, well, shouldn't he be more aggressive and be like, no, don't say anything? Like, he mm-hmm. just kind of just looks like he's grabbing her by the shoulders and politely talking oh. to her. Um, can can and- I point out another flaw with that? Go for that it. That I didn't even think about? You, you said that, uh, you know, he goes in there and he's aggressively telling her, don't say anything. But he's already had the same conversation with his brother at the door. And his brother, from what we find out at the end of the movie, knows this is going on because he's like, I can't, I can't cover for you this time, is basically what he says. 
So why does he have to go in there and tell her, don't say anything to him? Because his brother apparently already knows. So shouldn't he just be like, you know, why should he have to talk to her at all? And why then, like, it's all a happy ending because she gets adopted and he's dead. Well, I'm sorry, the brother, the cop's still going to investigate this. The brother knew about abuse and he's a social worker for a child support agency. Like, come on. Like, the brother's going down too. I can't cover for you anymore. Well, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, it's just, it's odd. Um, and then, yeah, like, this whole storyline about him, like, and this is this is honestly the part where I thought this was going to be the twist. Like, I thought, like, what? This kid's about to become a killer? And, like, this is, like, this huge twist that it's going to be the rest of this movie. Little old uh, dead kid going out and getting a rifle and trying to kill people. Um... But then, yeah, like, it's just, it's odd because then he dies. <laughs> like, yeah. And the thing, like, which is just, they they overstretch the the emotionalness of this movie to really get, because, like, Mallory was bawling her eyes out through all these scenes when he's, like, you know, all dying and shit. Like, can't he just die, like, with his seizure? Like, when the co- <laughs> when the, the doctor comes out of the surgery, just can't they just have him being dead then? Like, why do we need an extra 10-minute montage of him, yeah. you know, like, old sad panda in bed and shit and then like you're absolutely right like i I want to see the sky when sarah silverman like full-on makes out with him like (laughs) can i just point out like just reverse this situation all right let's have sarah silverman as the neighbor and dean norris as the drunk at the thing and then we've got little old uh mini sia dying in bed if dean norris max it on with Maddie Ziegler in bed, that's going to be controversial. Oh, this is disgusting, and a man's kissing an 11-year-old girl. Why aren't we calling this out? Because, like, I know they're intending for this to be a sweet moment because there is something weirdly nice in this scene, the fact that they're kind of like, you know, oh, you know, we only do this because we actually like it. Because I kind of like the way she keeps calling him Hank, and, you know, it's, just, it's kind of weirdly cute. But then it just... it did throws all cuteness out the window and she just basically makes out with him. It's odd. It's like, it's weird. Kiss him on the head. Kiss him on the cheek. Why are you (laughs) making out with this 11-year-old Sarah Silverman? I know you went out with Jimmy Kimmel and he's like a big kid, but, like, don't get confused, all right? This is a a real child. Um, And then he (laughs) dies. Like, he just dies. (laughs) It's odd. Which I'm happy about, but it's like it's halfway into the movie. Like, it, literally at this point, I'm thinking, what is about to happen now? They've just killed this kid off. Like, the movie's called The Book of Henry, and this kid's dead. Like, now what? <laughs> but sadly, it doesn't end. Um, <laughs> There's more. Well, no. No, and we get uh, the best thing of all after this, is that how do you mourn for a lost child, but you have dessert all the time? <laughs> Which... Again, I don't really understand. I, don't, I feel like because of the way this movie is presented, like it's meant to be almost like an after-school special or a movie of the week. Um, I don't know if they're trying to talk to the audience and say, you know, uh, don't turn a blind eye if you think there's something wrong. Just jump to conclusions and try to kill a person, maybe. But um, the way that she grieves, like making dessert all the time. Okay, fine. People always say this, like, oh, it was weird the way this person was grieving. That's suspicious. And you always hear the same thing. It's like, everybody grieves differently. But I don't see her grieving and making dessert all the time. And her character is so poorly developed in this movie that it just leaves me feeling just as confused with how dumb she is that she wants to make dessert. Because 
she's not freaking out or anything. Like we have a moment at the restaurant, but why is she making dessert all the time? Like I, it's just it's such a weird choice to illustrate grieving to the audience without actually showing because she never. It's not like there's a moment where she suddenly stops grieving this way or has a shift where she's like, you know what, I'm going to start making salads again. <laughs> it's just <laughs> desserts for everybody. It just becomes like a common thing in the movie. We even see the kid days later, could have been weeks later, and he's got like eclairs and jelly beans for lunch. Um, The doctor shows up at the house, which I don't know why this doctor is... Another thing, this movie, again, the story has no resolution to anything. It's too subtle for its own good. Is this meant to be a love story between the doctor and Naomi Watts? Because they keep having him show up at the house and show up at the talent show without any explanation for why he's there. There's not a scene where he's flirting with her or she's receptive or she's like, we should go out sometime. Oh, maybe you can come to my kid's talent show. He's just always there. And they don't explain why he's there. He's creepy. He's really creepy. It it is, yeah. Because at no point is she having any more conversation with him other than, oh, okay, my son's dead. Okay, thank you, doctor. And he's just showing up at the house and everything. And he's like, oh, did you forget I was coming today? Like, if this was meant to be a date, then have the movie show them dating after this or on the phone or something. It just feels like he's a character that drops in and out, like as if doctors actually do this. Um, And there are a lot of really overly sappy, like you mentioned how Mallory was crying. The positive reaction people have with this is it obviously is, I'm not going to say it's not an effective movie. I think that if your eyes are open, you're trying to pay, if you're looking at a movie for a story, different people go into movies for different, with different things or looking for different things. Some people will go in and they're always focused on the emotion, how the story is emotionally told and things like that. And they can ignore stories. If you go in and your focus is always the story, this movie will be the dumbest thing ever made. If you go in, and you're focused on emotions. I don't think this movie is so effective, but I think it is effective enough at being sappy that I don't blame a person if they cry at this. I would blame them if they ever try to explain how the story makes sense because it doesn't. Uh, but the most annoying, I keep saying annoying. It is literally, this is one of the most annoying movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, the, the most annoying sappy moment to this entire movie is where the doctor is talking to the brother. And the brothers all of a sudden is like, my head hurts. And the doctor's like, I think your heart hurts. <laughs> Seriously? Who wrote this? Colin Trevorrow? Get out of he, Star Wars. He didn't actually. He didn't write it. Greg Hurwitz wrote this movie. We're not leaving any shit on him. <laughs> Did he co-write it or anything? No. According to this, it just says written by Greg Hurwitz. Oh, so... well, you can drop dead like Henry. Okay, Greg Hurwitz. <laughs> Take Colin Trevorrow with you. <laughs> um, I My head hurts. I think your heart hurts. And then when she goes back to work, and it's kind of a funny moment, but again, is this character supposed to be grieving that she's just so out of it? She's got so much focus that she can make. She's not just making sloppy desserts. Like, this isn't a woman who does anything well. She can't do a basic budget. And yet, when you see the desserts, when the, the brother shows up at school, these are like bakery quality desserts that she can make she has that much focus she shows up to work she can't get anything right she has the customer is this diet or regular soda and she literally takes a swig out of it and goes yeah it's diet and puts it down which is this now meant to be the way she grieves that she's just completely socially awkward and and inconsiderate and then her boss comes up and this is where the moment that that uh i think you missed comes up where we said your son sent me a letter he says you have $680,000 in a checking account. Like he actually details over $600,000. Peter, or not Peter, uh, Henry wrote this 
dead kid wrote this uh, and said, my mom has $680,000. She doesn't need to work because he's been trying to tell her not to work. He's been trying to tell her, get a new car, get a new job. And I wonder, is this woman again so stupid that she doesn't realize her? she's so stubborn? Like it, her character makes no sense. Why is she so dedicated to working still? If, if they had one line of dialogue where she's like, you know what? I think it's important that a person work because it teaches them discipline. I would believe her character, but then I would question, shouldn't she have that same discipline for making a budget or functioning as an adult? Because the only thing that she's dedicated to in her life is working and not even, she could go to her job and say, listen, I want to work part-time hours or I want to work all day shifts. Take your pick. And then they say yes or no, or she goes and gets a new job. She literally just does her job no matter how bad it is that her boss has to send her home. She refuses to get a new car for no reason whatsoever. Her character's dumb. Um, and then plus the boss sends her home a, well, you should say it, it should be because she's drinking from customer sodas and putting it back in their mouth, but he sends her home because she has $680,000 in the bank. Cause I, I think it was too early for you to come back to work. This is like richism. Like if, did he really know who's covering for her shift any other time? He's basically sending her home because she's rich. You know, he doesn't say... Yeah, well, at no point does he say you can't treat customers like this. He says it was too early for you to come back to work, and you're not. He doesn't ever say you're not functioning well the job. He's like it was too early for you to come back to work, and your son says you have six hundred eighty thousand dollars in the bank. <laughs> like keep her then. She doesn't need the money. She's clearly you know she doing this for job free. for. <laughs> yeah, just say you want to work, work for free, or pay me. Hey, hey, want to invest in my restaurant? Like make a pitch. <laughs> don't, don't just set her home because she has money. Um, and then another, this is where the movie gets really absurd. This is the moment I actually wrote my notes. Here it is. Dot, dot, dot. And I want to know what your reaction was at this point when the book is finally found by the little brother and he snoops through it because his Henry told him, don't read the book. Just give it to mom. He reads the book and then he runs downstairs. He goes, mom, I think Henry wants us to kill Glenn. If there is any more bizarre line of dialogue in a movie like this, I don't know what it is. We have this child-friendly, feel-good, turn-to, really sad story, and a little boy comes running out and suddenly drops it on the audience without any hint whatsoever. I think Henry wants us to kill Glenn. And then we'll, we'll pick it up from there. It's just... No, no, well, let's, let's keep going, because I want to get this Mr. over with. Mr. Sickleman. Uh, Mr. Sickleman. Yeah, and then he wrecks himself. Sorry, Mr. Sickleman. Um, just keep going. <laughs> I, I, before I go, because I, I wanted to stop here, just because I wanted to know what your reaction is when you saw that moment. Well, like, as I said before, I kind of I didn't know where they were going to go from this there, and then it was just kind of like, okay, cool, so now they're just setting this up to basically murder this person, and... I honestly wasn't believing they were going to go through with it. I was thinking like, oh yeah, you know, joke and there's going to be about something else in the end. But like the fact that essentially this leads us down on this garden path when she's going to be reading through this book and like, <laughs> like she is the worst mother in the world because then shouldn't she like, I don't know, go to the cops or go to Glenn or something because like, he's dead. It's not like he can get arrested or something like that. Just be like, I think my little boy had something really wrong with him. Like he, yeah. he was schizophrenic or something like that. Like, what do I do with this? Like, it's just straight away. So she ends up looking out a window and seeing a turn out alive. <gasps> Sexual predator. Uh, <laughs> we, we didn't see that chapter in the book. Why turning off a light means you're getting molested. 
Um, <laughs> I really don't know what my reaction was because seriously, I just, I'm not understanding anything at this point and just going, I'm bored. And I think I was giving Mallory a tissue because she was crying still. <laughs> um, okay, what was her reaction when suddenly it's like, I think he wants us to kill Glenn. Well, she didn't really say anything about a reaction because she just kind of said at the end, like, I like this movie. It's a solid rent oh. from me. Uh, and she cried a lot throughout the film. Yeah, um, I expect that from somebody who plays a ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I like. I would have been interested to have her on this episode so she could sort of find, you know, give her full take on that. But um, yeah, those ukulele players, you can never trust them. <laughs> um, so my reaction, because up until this point, it was probably about, uh, 15 minutes prior to this that I told Jamie to turn off the movie. And again, I'm glad we didn't because this movie's at least memorable. Um, <laughs> when this came up, I, I was just kind of bored and I'm like, oh, I got to finish watching this whole thing. But, you know, it's fine. Naomi Watts is in it. Naomi Watts is good. The kid from Room is in it. He's good. I'll give it a chance. And then this moment came and I literally burst out laughing because I already thought this movie was like incredibly stupid with with how um over the top it was with everything you know and how subtle it was with the story and when i had i i could not help but just burst out laughing and i don't think jamie really had a reaction at all but at this point like uh, i just started turning around to her every time something came up like i went from saying this movie's boring to when this came up i immediately turned off from the movie and every single time somebody else stupid came up i would pause the movie and turn around to her and explain to her how dumb the movie was and she's like no oh, okay can we finish watching it, please? Um, it gets more detailed here as uh, the brother who has understood he wants us to kill Glenn slash Mr. Sickleman uh, then says, why do, or when the mom says, you know, because he's doing this, I didn't understand everything in the book. What does that mean? Like this kid understands murder, but, and apparently this book is mostly filled with all the details of this sexual abuse and yet the little brother just doesn't understand that at all. Like, oh, he's such an innocent kid. But he understands murder. <laughs> Maybe if his mom wasn't playing such video games all the time. <laughs> um, I love the line here. This is this along go, this will go with the long list of absurd lines in this movie that should never have been written by anybody. Uh, when the, the brother is talking to Naomi Watts and she goes, We will not murder the police commissioner and that's final. <laughs> I want that to be the tagline of this movie. It's either that or my head hurts, I think your heart hurts. Like, those are the alternate taglines for this movie. We will not murder the police commissioner, and that's final. Um, and then we have the scene where she's looking out the window, and uh, she sees nothing, again, from the audience's perspective. And she, her jaw drops, and she all of a sudden realizes he is abusing her. Now... You could say that she actually did see something, but the movie presents us no evidence. In fact, even if you go later in the movie, when she's confronting Dean Norris, she doesn't say, I saw you through the window. She says, Henry detailed everything, which again, he didn't because he didn't tell the principal any of this. Um, what is she seeing? Because by her own admission later on, she didn't actually see anything. Does she just see the light switch off as he's coming up the stairs? Like, show us something. There are ways to do this, even if you want to present it as a kid's movie. Maybe show him open the door and come in the room, and then her jaw drops. But this movie's not even smart enough to have the characters have evidence against this guy. And yet still, they're responding as if she's actually seen something. Like, it completely contradicts itself later in the movie. 
And she's all of a sudden on board. Uh, so she's listening to the tape, which here is the most massive plot hole that I didn't pick up on the first time I watched this. But when I saw it this time, I'm like, how did I never think about that before? This tape, when did Henry make it? Uh, isn't it implied that he like snuck out one night because that's how he was able to finish everything? Well, that's my problem is that he it never shows him sneaking out. It never even I don't even know in the movie where it implies it. Well, I think there's, there's could... a bit where I think you see him sneak out because he's got the bandage on his head, and that's kind of that was the only reasoning I thought they had why he didn't just die on the table when they first went into surgery because they had to have him sneak out and do this because I'm pretty sure there's at least one scene where you see him with the tape or maybe at the safe and he's got the bandage on his head. I'm going to have to review it later. Um, either way, I've seen this movie twice, and if it's not that clear to me, then again, this movie has problems because the way I'm watching this, he's in the hospital, or he's making this book, he's recording everything in this, in this tape recorder, and then he gets a seizure, goes to the hospital, and then he dies. And then I'm watching a scene of him inside his house saying, I hope to do this myself, but you're going to have to do it yourself now, Mom. And I'm like, when did he make this? Did he, again, I'm thinking, did he sneak out at night? Um, did he record this having a premonition that he was going to die? Because when he's in the hospital, he's shocked at what's going to happen. He understands it because, of course, he understands more about medicine than his cardiologist. But he understood it at all. Um, uh, oh, 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 here, what he's going through, this is the, now the Naomi Watts montage, carrying out all the plans he made. So he has her go to the woods. He has her do target practice on um, a type of wood that you will collect the bullets or whatever. I don't even know how detailed this is. He has her go buy a gun uh, using the same tactic that he just miraculously walked in at the right minute, the five seconds into walking into a gun store and saw how an illegal gun deal went down. So she gets this gun, which I I swear she said it has a silencer on it. And yet in the woods, I'm still hearing these gunshots. And if she was deep in the woods practicing this, I would understand that nobody's going to hear this because he's having her be so discreet saying, collect your shells. She's basically listening to this tape narrating. And that's the other annoying thing in the movie is that this kid is so perfect that he knows how she's going to respond to everything. Even so much later on when he's saying, Hey, good job, mom. And then of course they play it for a joke later on as she's doing nothing. And says, that's another good shot. Um, but this isn't far from their house. Like, I don't know how many yards or, or meters do they say that they, uh, it would it would be yards in this movie? Did they state how far it is to take the shot? Because Two, when she's looking, there's two hundred or five hundred or something at some point. Yeah, let's say it's five hundred feet. Okay, um, I'm going to hear a gunshot even with if a silencer. I don't know if I would, but the gunshots we're hearing in this movie, you'd probably hear that from half a kilometer away, and. This is next to their house because she's at the treehouse when she's doing this target practice. I'm like, you're being so discreet, but there's people everywhere. You're in the middle of a residential area and nobody's going to notice you, A, walking into this woods with a gun and B, nobody's going to hear the gunshots going off and apparently the silencer that she bought doesn't work. Um, oh, and here's, here's another moment that gets really annoying. Uh, when she um, goes... or. Uh, I, I think she goes at this point to to talk to Denoris, uh, and she talks about, sorry, I haven't raked my leaves yet from the yard. And I'm thinking, how long do leaves fall in this town? Like, <laughs> this movie has been going on for about six months, and the leaves are still falling. Like, we have a very abrupt winter in Winnipeg. We'll go from, 
I don't know, let's say the beginning of October, it'll be highs of still, I don't know, 15, 16 degrees Celsius. And then within a couple of weeks, it's like down to freezing and it's snowing at the end of October. So the leaves will start falling and it's two, three weeks max. Are we to believe this entire movie takes place in two or three weeks? Because from the first scene to the last scene of the movie, he's raking leaves and leaves (laughs) are still falling. It's just the timelines do not add up at all. Uh, we have the first uh, uh, mention here of the talent show. So she goes and talks to him in his house and asks for permission to take her to the talent show. Um, and we'll stop before we get to the talent show. We'll leave everything else there. I don't really know what to add. Um, it's <laughs> like with the whole narration bit when he's going over the tape and, yeah, just like has all these reaction moments and – like, going back to what you said about how dumb she is, maybe, like, they have to imply that she's a bit dumb because if she was any decent mother, is she really going to listen to this kid? Like, what what? Yeah, m- mother listens to an 11-year-old? Like, 11-year-olds have dumb ideas all the time. And like, Mom, I want to, you know, eat ice cream every day of my life and I'm going to become king of the moon and, oh, and next week I'm going to become the first person to ever to swallow Africa or something like that. I don't know. Like... <laughs> Kids have dumb ideas. So, like, if a kid goes, Mom, I want to kill this person, like, you know, okay, he's dead, but you don't go along with the idea. You say, that's nice, honey, go clean your room. Or, holy shit, my kid's a psychopath. I'm going to go to the random psychopath doctor who keeps showing up at my house because he wants to get in my panties. Like, that's all this doctor wants. Like, he's basically gone, oh, fuck, that kid who dies, Mum's hot. I'm going to go check on her. Like, he's just thinking with his dick. And we're meant to be like, oh, isn't he sweet? Like, no, he's creepy. Like, dude, like, how many women does he sleep with because his mum's hot because the kids die? I don't know. Um, And, yeah, like, even, like, isn't the bit when he, she, like, rings him up and is all like, I'm going to rake my leaves. Like, isn't that, like, 1 o'clock in the morning when the light's switched off and, oh, no, she's getting abused again? Like, (laughs) and he's just all like, hello. Yes, okay, that's yeah. good to know. Like, isn't it like, dude, it's one o'clock in the morning. Why are you calling me? Like, exactly. And, and then even when she says, I'm going to rake my leaves, like the next day when she goes over to get permission signed, she's like, oh, sorry, I haven't raked my leaves. <laughs> like, shouldn't he be like, uh, why'd you call me at one o'clock in the morning saying you want to rake my leaves in? Like, I just want to see his scene of frustration where he's like, I've been raking leaves since March. Like, when is this going to end? <laughs> <laughs> he's the most anal neighbor ever. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and, like, just even this whole, like, rocky montage of her getting everything ready. Like, she storms into a, a gun store and they're all like, I want to scope 27.6.793.26 with this and that and don't say no because Jimmy sent me. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is a woman who's incapable of signing a parental consent form because her son's dying and she's the parent. Um, it's like, it's, it's dumb and... Yeah, like the whole waitressing bit because she's getting fired because she's got money. Like, that's dumb. It's a it's a diner. Like, they need waitressing staff. Like, she's complaining, like, you're late. You know, Table Seven's saying that their eggs are wet. Like, you know, like, he's complaining that they're understaffed and yet you're firing, like, the one person who's, like, showing up even when a little kid's dead. Yeah. Uh, everyone in this movie, there's no one likable in this movie. <laughs> Um, I like the teacher though. She seems nice. Uh, <laughs> but, and this is America. Like, as if this guy's not going to sell a gun to someone. Like, come on. Like, so unrealistic. 
Um, <laughs> and then even like she's got this high-powered rifle within three seconds of listening to some advice from an 11-year-old son who's never shot a gun in his life. She all of a sudden can hit a target from 500 feet away and be able to blow a man's skull open. Like, come on. <laughs> what is going on here? Um, yeah. Um, I don't really know what else to say. Talent show. Yes. Um, oh, and then, let's get to and it, the talent show all comes down to the fact that they can forge a signature that claims that he's going to give up custody to his neighbour. Now, like, really? Like, that's not going to raise concerns with child services? Like, <laughs> wait a minute. I didn't think you two had a very close relationship. Why does he want you to have the kid? Like, aren't there going to be question marks raised with that? Ah. Oh. Anyway, talent Everybody's show. so inept in this movie. I mean, child and family services don't investigate anything. Grocery store clerks don't intervene if somebody's <laughs> getting punched in their own store. Uh, principals don't intervene if somebody's being molested. Like, nobody does anything in this oh, world. Can I just say one thing to the scene? Like, you talk about, like, um, being over the top, like, you know, my head hurts. I think your heart hurts. Like, uh, we just have that scene with the little boy, like, in bed. And it's like, sometimes I think it should have been me. And it's like, oh, but it's uh, okay. We would have missed you too. I- like... Like, oh, like it's just so over the topness with its soppiness that it's like mm-hmm. the, the, some of the earlier emotional scenes actually are done quite okay. And like as you were saying, like you can see why people would cry at certain points in this movie. But like this bit is just, it's just no. I just, it doesn't need to be there. The right kid now, died. All right, like don't <laughs> yeah, the right start. one. You took the right one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Little other kid. Uh, Shush. Now we get to the talent show, and this is basically the climax of the movie. Uh, and again, you're wondering, why is the doctor there? Like, there's not a moment of her saying, oh, thanks for coming, where they would imply he was invited. He's just like, hey, good to see you. This guy is a stalker. Yes. <laughs> there's no moment to this movie where his behavior is encouraged in any way. Which you can say that about a lot of characters in this movie. Um, and some of the fun things of the talent show... Uh, the the uh, cross-eyed Eminem kid it does a freestyle rap, does a mic drop. Um, uh, you get the kid who says, this one's for my sister, and he burps the ABCs. And you know the Simpsons, I mean, we all know the Simpsons episode with the talent show uh, where um, you know people come out and they do their own act. I think, uh, I don't know if it was the talent show, or, oh, the, um, the President's Day one, I think it was where Bart comes out as uh, John Wilkes Booth with a machine gun and he gets yanked off the stage. You know, even a show like The Simpsons, they have the common sense to know that if you're going to present a scene like this where a kid's burping the alphabet, the teachers aren't going to improve. And the scene would be funnier if you had the teachers kind of groaning and rolling their eyes as if this kid pulled one over them. But it just cuts to the teachers as if they approve this kid going up and burping the ABCs <laughs> in tribute to his sister at a talent show to school. Like, if I'm any of the parents, I'm going to be like, who runs this school? I'm pulling my kids out now. <laughs> you, you can't do anything about sexual abuse. You let kids go up there and burp. Like, this school is ridiculous. And then we get uh, the, the back-and-forth montage of Naomi Watts setting up the kill here. She's speeding away. She's got the alibi of being at the school um, uh, as one of the, uh, I don't know, secure, what would you call her, a security guard? What is her job supposed to be? Like, why, why is she, she just an says official she's doing position? volunteer things. I don't think it's ever mentioned exactly what she's doing. Yeah, it's like security work at an elementary school talent show. Like, what else is she supposed to be doing there? Because as soon as the talent show starts, she can sneak out, go unnoticed. So I don't see her volunteering for anything else there. 
Um, and then she goes into the woods. She's getting the gun ready. You're cutting back and forth now as um, Christina is doing her very sad ballet dance. And Naomi Watts is getting the gun ready and listening to Henry uh, on the tape. And Dean Norris is raking his leaves again at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, he's like, take the shot, Mom. Take the shot. And she's hesitating. And Henry apparently knows she's going to hesitate because he's going, take the shot. What if she had just taken it right there? And all of a sudden, she's like, I did it. And he keeps screaming, take the shot, take the shot. And she's so dumb. She's like, oh, oh, I'll keep shooting. And she's assuming she <laughs> shot the wrong guy. So she's shooting some old lady who's one house over. Like, this kid did not think through how dumb his mom was. What if she had done it right? And then you keep telling her, shoot him again, shoot him again. Then she's <laughs> definitely going to jail. Um, so <laughs> the most, I keep saying this, the most absurd moment. But I think this movie just keeps getting more absurd. When the principal finally clues in, as you said, that something's going on, this girl really is being abused, it's when she's doing the sad ballet dance, which I'm watching this thinking, it's interpretive dance, like you said, this is the way it's supposed to be. If she wasn't sad doing the dance, she wouldn't be doing it right. If she was smiling doing it, she's getting a low score, she's losing the talent show. <laughs> this is the way it's supposed to be. And the principal's like... I knew it. First of all, she didn't know it. That's what makes this even more absurd is that she hasn't believed and this was going on because a Henry never presented her with any evidence. So it's not like she had real clues. She just had Henry saying, you got to put all the pieces together. Oh, and there's another thing I think I missed at some point. Uh, oh no, no, it's coming up here. I'll mention it in a second, but um, the things that Henry does clue them in on as um, Naomi Watts doesn't take the shot. Uh, and then eventually confronts Dean Norris, and she's saying, Henry knew everything that was going on. Again, she didn't say, I was looking through the window, and I saw you touch your stepdaughter, and that's when I decided I was going to kill you. She says, Henry knew it all. So she's still just going on the word of a dead kid who left a notebook. And again, this kid could have been a sociopath. He is a sociopath, but he could have been. Um, and uh, he's saying, who are they going to believe? She's like, I've got nothing to lose. Do you? Like, it's this big heavy showdown but again it, it it's absurd because she's not presenting any evidence other than the fact that my dead kid left a notebook saying what was going on now there's a certain thing called hearsay in the law <laughs> if this goes to court what evidence is there going to be now obviously you could say well the little girl when the authorities pulled her away would probably admit to it but still this is hearsay he is the chief of police or, or something like that the police commissioner his perfect rebuttal right there is, A, it's hearsay, and B, it's hearsay from a person who's dead, and C, it's hearsay from a person who's dead who just wrote it in a notebook, and we can't verify his handwriting or authenticity of this or anything. It's no evidence at all, and this is what causes him to collapse? And in this um, notebook is a plan to murder the chief commissioner yes. of police. Yeah, so is she going to turn this in? <laughs> what was her plan? Because, like, and he's, um, he's a terrible cop. Like, he's a terrible cop that he basically just goes ahead and is like, oh, fuck, I'm bang. Like, again, like, whether you're guilty or not, he has got so much on his side here. And, like, he's been protected yeah. for so long. But, oh, no, because now a third person's called in. We've finally got that third tick off the book of interpretive dance. You're fucked. We can't cover for you anymore now. <laughs> It was all about being glum and lights turn off and that interpretive yes. dance lights gone ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and it really is that stupid because as this conversation is going on, we're cutting to the principal calling the authorities because she's like, I just saw a really sad dance and I believe this girl's being molested. <laughs> this movie's just idiotic. Um, 
Oh, and then Naomi Watts, this is the part I was getting to. Uh, so this is apparently the evidence that Henry detailed. She says he documented it all. Emergency room visits, school absences, bruises. Now, he's not documenting anything he's witnessed other than she's gone to the emergency room. She has bruises. She's had school absences. First, I just want to say this. Again, maybe my country's different, uh, but but you're selling this to an audience. And when this is going back like to the 80s, but um, my brother uh, fell and tripped on, and this isn't like he fell and tripped. Just tell them he fell and tripped. I'm saying like he actually did fall and trip, and he uh, uh, split his uh, lip open on our aunt and uncle's driveway. And so he had to go to the hospital and get stitches. He got stitches, and then literally they're bringing him home from the doctor, taking the stitches out. He opens the door. He runs into the house, bangs right into the side of a desk, and needs stitches again. So literally they have brought him home from the doctor to get the stitches out. He walks in the door and immediately goes right back there and gets stitches in a different place. There was an immediate investigation from Child and Family Services (laughs) just because of that. And it it was as simple as, okay, well, it's clear, you know, he is just an accident-prone kid. But you have two things like that back-to-back. CFS is being called. like, And (laughs) and apparently, this is all hearsay, but there are emergency room records and abscesses. First of all, what does the school abscesses have to do with it? (laughs) And bruises that the audience never sees, school absences that we have never heard anything about. We keep seeing her at school every single day. So she has a perfect record from the audience's point of view. We have heard nothing about emergency room visits, and we have never seen a bruise in this movie. And she's saying these are the evidences out there. If these things are real, somebody would have already intervened. It would have, like, there's protocol that you have to investigate things like this. My family is uh, uh, a testament to that. And nobody's done anything. Uh, he calls his brother. The brother's like, it's over. You know, the, the, they already, so this is the moment where we realize the brother already knew. So what was with that elaborate scene earlier that Henry witnessed of the brother saying, don't say anything, and then him going there, don't say anything to your uncle, don't say anything to your uncle. Um, and then we go back to the school after he, there's a gunshot, which you, it, it's again, everything in this movie is just implied that he takes his life. Uh, and we're back at the school and there's police sirens. Now, <laughs> do you really think it's the most responsible thing to do? These Police sirens are not coming there. The the principal did say that she placed the call to the authorities. But these police officers are coming here not for that. It's not like she's like, when Naomi Watts goes up to the principal, she's like, I made the report. I know what's going on. The police are coming to arrest them. The police are coming to the school. And they say we needed to break the news to Christina that her stepfather just killed himself. These police officers are only there to tell her your stepfather just killed himself. They don't know anything about this abuse. Is it realistic in any way that police officers are going to be like, a guy just killed himself. Let's turn the sirens on, go disrupt a children's talent show, and then pull, pull this girl aside and say, your stepfather just killed himself. Like, it's just so over the top and unrealistic. And everything in this movie, from the light turning off to what Naomi Watts sees through the window, which by her own admission, she doesn't even say she saw anything, to the gunshot of him taking his life, Everything in this movie takes place off camera, which is what leads me to believe that they want this movie to be made for kids. And then it closes with something else that leads me to believe this movie is made for kids, which is the magic act, where the little brother says, I'm going to bring my brother back from the dead. 
And then he does nothing but have an explosion come out of a chest and snow fills the audience, which is not a magic trick at all. And I don't know what that has to do with his brother coming back from the dead. And don't you think there'd be a scene, considering his brother, if you're looking at the weather of the leaves falling, his brother's been dead for probably a week and a half. Um, but nobody in this audience is going to be like, that seems kind of weird. And the school isn't going to allow this again. Like, let's have a morbid moment where people think that this little boy is going to resurrect his dead brother. Um, and then it's just snowflakes, which has nothing to do with resurrecting his dead brother. I don't get it at all. Um, movie eventually ends with the little girl moving in with them. Uh, the size of this house leads me to the last plot hole. This little girl is sleeping with the little brother. <laughs> They're sharing a room now. And Naomi Watts says, don't worry. We're going to have that third room built soon enough. This house they're living in is a mansion. Her boss even mentioned it later. It's like, I know what house you live in. You don't need to work here. What house that size has two bedrooms? Like, why is they making a third room? And, why? and how is this now appropriate that this is as – I know she's supposed to be 11 or whatever, but they say teenage girl in the, the plot synopsis of this movie. In what world is a teenage girl – is it appropriate for a teenage girl to be sleeping in the same room with like a seven-year-old boy? everything about this movie is just wrong. This is a terrible ending. They're trying to make it all sappy. Um, you still as an audience have to accept the fact that they were willing to kill this man. I don't know what characters had what motivation because nothing's clearly stated. This is not the worst movie we have covered this month. No. But it may <laughs> be because it is being presented as some type of weird kids movie or weird adult emotional drama because its intention is to be taken seriously, I'm going to go as far as to say that this is the most absurd movie. It's not absurd like Cat and Hat. If you put these two movies side by side, Cat and Hat intends to be absurd. This is intended to be serious, and yet it's so far-fetched and so ridiculous. It's just a disaster. The one thing that um, Mallory said early on in the film is, why do these kids share a room when their house is so big? Yeah. Um, so like right at the end when kind of it's like yes your room will be ready it is a case of like what the hell like why are they sharing this like what is Naomi Watts using all these other rooms in the house for um, and basically she can't um, yeah I'd, I I kind of just wish she had a shot him um, because like you're meant to believe then that this is perfectly planned out that she would then get away with that murder because how? Like, his head is exploded from a high-power sniper rifle. He's meant to, what, fall in the creek? And then he's the commissioner of police. Like, how is this implied that it is an accident or something? Because then she's got an alibi that she was at the school. Like, oh, it's just... it's. I, I would have liked to have seen how they would have tried to claim that this was, like, the perfect murder and she would have gotten away with it. Like, put some arsenic in his coffee or something. Of- are they not going to be able to tell the trajectory of the bullet that it came from this kid's treehouse? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's odd. Um, and just like the the dance section, like again, where like that's meant to be the twist, like when the cops come and you're like, oh, who made the call? And it's like, oh my God, she finally realizes the interpretive dance. She's getting molested. <laughs> um, do, does she actually talk in this movie, Christina? Like, I think she's like two think so. lines. Yeah, I don't Maybe. think so. But then it's like, it's kind of just, it's just the weirdness at the end that she's straight away adopted by, you know, Naomi Watts at the end because, 
you know, there's that one scene when kind of she's all like, oh, you know, do you have any other family? And he's kind of like, no, there's no one else and all this sort of stuff. Like, there's still a system that they have to go through. Like, yeah. you, you know, like if I have a kid and I've got no other family, I can't just be like, hey, Bob, down the street, I'm going to sign a document that says you can have this kid if I die. Like, <laughs> I mean, is she going to be assessed as like, well, hang on a minute, you just lost your son. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you were making dessert for every single meal for your other son. Uh, you were so dumb that you couldn't sign a form to uh, have your Can son you have budget? brain surgery. Can you budget? You got $600,000 <laughs> sitting in a bank account. You worked at a bar with an alcoholic, Sarah Silverman, and, <laughs> like, like, they have to probably do some sort of analysis on her ability to look after this little girl who's, you know, stepdad is just killed himself and then you know also i'm sure other allegations have come to light that she was being abused so like um but hey happy ending um (laughs) the few what did she say early on like oh that's going to be my future daughter-in-law like are you going to set her up now with like your youngest son now because they technically (laughs) step brother and sister but hey whatever um yeah uh (laughs) This is just such an odd film when you analyze every single aspect about it and about what it's trying to achieve and do. And I do love the fact, though, that kind of coming through this, that it wasn't even written by Colin Trevorrow, and yet he somehow lost Star Wars because he directed this film. <laughs> <laughs> like, he didn't write this movie, but he got he lost Star Wars because he directed this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, what did Ryan Johnson do before? Um, I keep forgetting. <laughs> Looper. Oh, Looper. Okay, well, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, what else to say. Well, box office. Uh, I think this is kind of weird because the movie had a, I guess, semi-limited release. It only opened in 579 theaters. It opened during the summer, which seems a weird time to open a movie like this. Like, if it was intended as Oscar bait, they'd release it in the fall. But it's possible the studio knew that this movie was kind of dumb. So, like, let's release it in the summer. Um, 579 theaters, it opens with $1.4 million in 13th place, uh, which I guess it had an okay per screen average. But to put that in comparison, um, uh, Captain Underpants, the first epic movie in its third weekend, made the exact same amount per screen average as this did in its opening weekend. So I guess it was, like, Maybe modest, slightly below modest, even for a limited release. Other movies that came out that week: Cars Three opened number one with fifty-three million. Wonder Woman was in its third weekend at number two, forty-one million. All Eyes on Me, twenty-six. Then The Mummy with Tom Cruise and forty-seven meters down. Also, Rough Night with uh, Scarlett Johansson opened uh, in a lot more theaters and did uh, a couple million more. Uh, the movie makes only about four four point five million dollars in its uh, full run. Um, it's not really worth going over the box office much. I think this, I kind of encourage people to watch this movie because I knew nobody has seen it. And it's not like it's gotten a great reputation. Uh, it's, it's one of these movies that, um, if it had come out and it was so bad that it got all these Razzie nominations, I think it would have more of an audience or even have more of a following, but this is just sort of a nothing movie that just the people who have stumbled across it have just been like, what was that? And yet I feel like, I'm hoping we're on to something here because this movie is certainly really bad. And for the people who are negative about it, they are like, it is one of the most bizarrely bad movies you've ever seen, but it's not well-known bad like the other ones we've covered. And I'm hoping this is one of these cult bad movies that years from now people are going to be like, oh, 
you know, Jiggly and The Book of Henry and all those other worst movies ever made. Um, we've never I'm, done Jiggly, the king of bad movies, and yet here we are doing this over the that. Book of Henry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the other thing is, is that this movie is, as we said, slightly effective on the emotional level at moments. And I think it's enough that some people ignore the ludicrous plot. But going back to what I said about, you know, uh, how people go into a movie, I think anybody going into this really focusing on a story is going to see how idiotic it is. And if somebody goes in with the emotions, they may be wooed by some of the emotions. So overall, this is kind of opposite of um, Last Jedi, which we talked about, where critics loved it. And then audiences were like, what? Uh, this movie has only 22% of Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is definitely the highest of the movies we've covered this month. Um but yet 63% for the audience score. Uh, similar on IMDb, uh, it doesn't actually have that bad of a rating right now. Now, again, granted, not a lot of people have seen this movie. And uh, th- those who have seen it, maybe this sort of falls, th- the rating falls in the middle. It's 6.6 on IMDb. So between that and Rotten Tomatoes, I think audiences, the ones who like it, I don't think there's anybody who absolutely loves this movie. I don't think there's any way anybody would love this movie. But... I'm, I'm siding with the critics on this one. 22, I think 22% is a little bit high. And some of the critics' reviews are, this isn't like as hideous as like the Pluto Nash ones we read or anything. Uh, but there are some good ones here that I think more just accurate than they are funny. Um, Emily Yoshida of Vulture put, it does not suffice to call the book of Henry bad. It's non-functional, so poorly conceived from the ground up as to slip out of the grasp of the usual standards one applies to narrative film. It might be admirable if it wasn't such torture to watch. Uh, which, again, I think it's just it's a fair criticism. It's, is it a bad movie, or is it just a movie that's non-functional? Is it just poorly conceived? Uh, I kind of lean more towards that, although I think this movie is almost hilariously bad in the way that The Room is. It doesn't have the same charm of The Room. That's the other problem. Um, I found a couple other good ones here on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, let me just scroll through and find them. Uh, here's a good one. Susan... Lost something of RogerEbert.com <laughs> said every book needs an editor. <laughs> um, Joel May- uh, Joel Mayward of Cin- Cinema Yard says a tearjerker with no tears, a thriller with no thrills, and a family film which manipulates and undermines the value of true familial love. The Book of Henry is an atrocity. Uh, and um, Jennifer Heaton of Alternative Lens says the bizarre and horrendously misjudged combination of Spielberg whimsy and a harsh thriller is a thoroughly perplexing watch. So again, critics will either be like, this movie is terrible, or they'll have fair criticism like that one in the first one, where it's like, it's a weird combination. So I kind of, I don't know, we'll get to it on the end. I, um, but I think that uh, this movie has so many things working against it. I think one of the big problems is that it's like the first half of the movie is completely different from the second half. Uh, and there should have been some type of overlap between those scenes. Uh, let's get to something that's a little bit fun here then, which is our plot keyword. Now, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of fun ones in here because the ones that would Aww. be most closely associated with it, like child abuse and, I don't know, suicide, uh, <laughs> maybe not going to be as funny, but uh, my favorite movie, including Night Lights, uh, would definitely be The Book of Henry, but others like Black Klansmen. I'm really curious when Oscar time comes around, when Black Klansmen get the Oscar nomination, to see if the nightlight scenes match up to what we saw in The Book of Henry. Uh, other ones on this are Tully, Toy Story 3, Your Name, 
with a period mark, and the Book of Henry in fifth place. So it what about buying stock five. month? We could do buying stock month. Oh, what's on that? Uh, buying stock month is the great month that features the following titles as I open it up. Uh, the Book of Henry is number one. Number two is Primer from 2004. Number three ah. is a TV show, Give It a Year, the episode Busy Bins and Claude and & Co., and they're the only three that are on there. So uh, Wall Street is not on there. I thought that would involve buying stock, but who knows? <laughs> um, I'm pushing for next month that we replace Bad Movie Month with Toilet Plunger Month. Because uh, then we could talk about such great films as The Dictator. We could do a recap of Book of Henry for a second time. Also, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Two Night Stand, and maybe Along Came Polly. Uh, what so about Light and Ranger Night Vision Scope Month? <laughs> Featuring, <laughs> featuring only the Book of Henry. <laughs> what about Fired from the Job Month? Uh, <laughs> featuring Venom, Wildlife, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Ant-Man. <laughs> oh, there's some good ones on there. Um, sadly, we're never going to get Burping the Alphabet Month because the only oh. film on the list is the Book of Henry. <laughs> so we, we will replace it with Go Fish the Card Game Month. Featuring The Glass Castle, The Book of Henry, Transformers, Robots in Disguise, Episode Overloaded, Part 1. Uh, that is the only three that are in that month. Um, Frog Nightlight is a thing. <laughs> Anonymous the Telephone book- Call Month. <laughs> the Book of Henry is the only one on Frog Nightlights. What else is on Anonymous Telephone Calls? Oh, Lord, God, I can't wait to uh, cover Burning... Uh, the Usual Suspects, Zodiac, and Man on Fire. <laughs> and to go along with the Ranger Night Vision Scope one, we have Nemesis Vanquish 7.62 The Gun Month, coming soon to the Oz Network, also with only the Book of Henry. This movie's groundbreaking in a lot of areas. I mean, it's the only movie with a frog nightlight, the only one with the, 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 the Vanquish 7.62 Gun. Um, we may have just misjudged this movie. Yeah, uh, uh, and then animated sequence during opening credits month also will follow, featuring only the Book of Henry. Okay, then. Yep. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Weren't there a lot of animated James Bond opening titles? Like, those count as uh, animation. Casino Royale. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Uh, uh, can I just put out, did you see some of the um, reviews on IMDb? A lot of people try to defend this film. But maybe the the weirdest headline I've ever seen for a review, which literally says, this is from Danusha Goska on the 5th of July, 2017, live girl is less verbal than a male ghost. That is the headline of their review. <laughs> I yeah, don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, I mean, Henry's the dead boy, so Christina's the live girl. <laughs> Um, and the parental guide um, for sex and nudity. Sarah Silverman's breasts are popping out of her top in all her <laughs> scenes. Major cleavage, her role is minor. <laughs> uh, here is the saddest thing I found uh, on IMDb, and we'll close it with this. Uh, shame on you, dang Rustin. Uh, you gave this 8 out of 10. I just want to read his closing of this. Uh, and, and again, I think this was uh, before the firing of Colin Trevorrow came for Star Wars. While the Book of Henry is certainly not for everyone, it had me from the get-go. I was at first concerned with Trevorrow being the director for Star Wars Episode Nine, but now I'm intrigued to see where he takes it. 
I'm grateful not to have known anything about this film before letting myself become absorbed by it. And I thought about it for a long while afterwards. On this rare occasion, ignore the bad buzz and give it a go. Uh, you can drop dead along with Henry too. Okay, I'm just I'm just picturing Star Wars episode nine with Colin Trevor involved. So about uh, a quarter of the way in it, Ray probably gets terminal cancer and dies, <laughs> and then Finn finds a cassette and basically has to go on after I don't know um, Poe and tries to kill him because he's actually sec- sexually abusing C three PO. But then he stops at the last minute. C-3PO kills himself from the shame and um, Finn ends up adopting Lando Calrissian and that's how he comes into it. The end. Yeah. Uh, and R2-D2 is cloned into a little girl. Um, Colin Trevorrow, Star Wars Episode Nine. <laughs> Kylo Ren to- has cleavage and keeps telling people <laughs> to look at my Kylo boobs right up here. Yeah, Kylo Ren's moob is now uh, delicately tattooed with flowers. He saw his cleavage in the Last Jedi, so I mean, fair enough. I'm I'm actually rec- I just want to say this along lines of stars because we're going to get to that eventually. That's one of the only oh. teases we'll get cover all the stars movies. Uh, if you didn't guess from our, uh, I don't like sand line, but um, uh, I'm I'm currently recording this uh, from a hotel in Calgary, and uh, I decided to watch the Last Jedi. And the Last Jedi came out in May. And I bought it on Blu-ray right away. And I saw it several times in the theater, even though we criticize it a lot. I'm like, well, it's, it's okay. You know, it's still Star Wars. It's still fun. Bought the Blu-ray in May, watched 40 minutes of it, and stopped when they got to the casino planet, uh, and have never s- finished watching it since. So I figured, I'm going to be on a plane. I'll watch The Last Jedi. I watched it and fast-forwarded every scene on the <laughs> casino planet. <laughs> and almost every, every scene... <laughs> involving um uh finn and what's her name and benicio del toro i think every single time i've caught a plane in the last 12 months and i've seen that on the thing i'm like i should watch it no maybe i shouldn't Um, (laughs) i haven't since i've i saw it twice at the movies and i haven't watched it since and i'm avoiding watching it until we have to watch it and then yeah in the lead up i guess to episode nine this year before we tease what's coming before Star Wars for about six months or however long it's going to take us, uh, let's rate this movie. Um, this is a clear bin. I'm sorry, Mallory. Uh, <laughs> it's a solid uh, I will say this, though, because I guess we'll also, along with what are we going to do with this movie, uh, how are you going to rank the movies we've covered this month? Um, I, I will put this not at the top because I think that there is a movie that makes more sense than this. Um, but I'm not putting it at the bottom for Bad Movie Month, even though I think it is the most idiotic of the movies we've covered, as I said, uh, because it's definitely not boring. If it has anything going for it, at least the second half of the movie is not boring. If you're watching this for the first time, even if it's just in terms of you are flabbergasted at how any movie can do something so stupid and have a plot so ridiculous and a tone change so drastic that you will keep watching it. Um, so I'm definitely bidding this movie. I mean, this, this is, this is what inspired me to do bad movie month number two. Cause we were recording the room and I'm like, we got to bring this back next year because when I watched this, I said, if only I had caught this a week earlier, I would have scrapped one of our other movies on bad movie month and done book of Henry instead. Um, so I'm glad we were able to talk about it because it is ridiculous and funny at times and something you have to share with the world, but it is a terrible movie. And, these critics, I'll give them a pass because if somebody is 
uh, or not the critics, the people, the people who did like this movie, I'll give them a pass because as I said, if you're looking for an emotional story, maybe it's adequate at times. But in terms of story, this is the biggest mess we've covered this entire month. So this is an easy bin. Oh, for sure it's a bin. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, in terms of like ranking them this month, like it's a it's a tricky and weird one to think because, I mean, I didn't bin all of them. I rented Pluto Nash, so for me, Pluto Nash would be on top. Um, and I would have to put Emoji Movie at the bottom. So this would be the second worst, and I'd probably put Cat in a Hat cat in a hat above this <laughs> um which is weird to think the cat in a hat comes out as the second best movie this month but i mean you know i think we achieved what we were meant to with this month which we probably didn't last year and actually did shit movies that we're meant to bin except for me sorry for ruining it but um yeah i mean next year we've got to put jiggly in there don't we cat oh, woman yeah. um yeah. showgirls uh, <laughs> i'm just thinking the love guru actually don't put the love guru in there because i probably oh, won't be in it um i i so, wanted to do the love guru next year <laughs> but like, I, I look i i'm not against doing it but i actually don't mind the love guru so oh, yeah. we're gonna have good debates there <laughs> <laughs> but come on jiggly jiggly giggly whatever it's called it has to be on. we gotta yeah. do the grandmother of badness when it comes yeah, to I think... I've, I've, I've never seen it but i i i have Sadly. Is it as bad as it is implied? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and again, I think it kind of falls into the category of, like, the Book of Henry because these other movies like Pluto Nash, Cat in the Hat, uh, Emoji Movie, they're not trying to be smart movies. And I think Jiggly, like Book of Henry, is trying to be – and when they made it, they thought they are making a smart movie. You have an Academy Award-nominated director doing Jiggly. Uh, you have Colin Trevorrow, who was, you know, at, at, at top of the world when he made this movie – these movies intended to be something good. So I like to do variety. Uh, and I, I think for that reason, we have to have a little bit of like intentionally absurd movies. Like we had Battlefield Earth last year. Uh, we have, you know, um, Cat in the Hat this year. I think we got, as far as I'm concerned, the two locks are Jiggly and I think uh, Love Guru would have to be the other one because I'm dying to debate that one with you. Yeah, look, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't buy the Love I just weirdly find it enjoyable and I think probably just comes down to Mike Myers. And how do you not find that film slightly enjoyable? It implies that the Toronto Maple Leafs can win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> um, I'm not saying everything in it is bad. <laughs> the, the special effects are amazing. It legitimately looks like somebody with a Maple Leafs jersey is holding a Stanley Cup. I So realistic. I couldn't believe it. At the time that Bad Movie Month 2 comes around, that joke's going to be completely irrelevant because they will have won the Stanley Cup. Um, anyways, uh, my rankings for this are going to be a little bit different from yours. I'm definitely agreeing that Pluto Nash is the best of these, which is weird because I'm pretty sure it had the lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, mm. But again, it comes down to what we said during Pluto Nash that it's just a movie that just misfires in every area, but nothing about it is so bad that it's unwatchable and it's not, it's not terribly unfunny in an annoying way. You know, I think cat in a hat, it, it tends to be unfunny in an annoying way. Emoji movie tended to be unfunny in an annoying way. Pluto Nash was just, I see the joke, but I don't get it. And there were some things that I'm not going to say worked about that movie, but weren't complete disasters. Um, Believe it or not, I'm probably going to put the Book of Henry number two just because wow. I think that, well, it's because it, I see it similar to The Room in that 
this is a, if there's any movie we covered this month that I could see us watching again, doing a live commentary just to laugh at. Look, it's the interpretive dance, it's child molestation. I could see this being a fun movie to watch, and that I think it may take on cult qualities, not in an enjoyable way like the like the room, but maybe in a jiggly type way where it's like, what were they thinking? Um, and I think you'll also be surprised that I'll probably put the Emoji Movie third, just slightly above oh. Cat in the Hat. Um, only for the reason that I'm pretty sure that the Emoji Movie, if I showed that to Casper, he may not get Oh, he's definitely not going to get it. Because as we said, the, the story and the whole premise of the movie is going to go above the heads of anybody who uh, you know actually would like this movie. But he would at least you know have an interest in it. Whereas I think The Cat in the Hat, I don't even get how a kid would like it. Cat in the Hat was just a bizarre movie. And the Emoji Movie at least had a story and a point. Um, there were probably more, well, there were more parts of the cat in the hat that were closer to being enjoyable, but I also just found that the weird parts of the cat in the hat were just so out there that it's just, I, I, I questioned why they ever made the movie. Yeah, no, no, the emoji <laughs> <the> bottom, <laughs> the bottom of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, bad movie month has come to a close. Uh, this has been a challenge. Uh, but what's coming up next? Because I'm not entirely sure what month is coming next. I know we have all of our movies decided, which we should probably tease now what it's going to be. But I, what's I the month? I think it's I think it's anniversary month is next. Yes. Um, which we go. I don't think we finalized the... yet exactly what we're I doing. I think we did. Uh, we have. <laughs> I think. Well, we have. Yeah. I'm going to say let's leave it open for you know some potential. Um, some potential additions in there or replacements. Uh, even though I'm pretty happy with the list we have, but I just I have some ideas that I'll run by you later. But uh, there's at least two movies in there um, that I think we absolutely have to do. Uh, one of them is from my insistence, and the other one I'm going to say just because how can we do any type of month and not include Arnold Schwarzenegger? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say... There's no way we can scratch True Lies because it's the 25th anniversary of True Lies now. And I'll take any uh, opportunity to talk about Schwarzenegger on the show. And I think I'm guessing the other one's Galaxy Quest that we're keeping yes. in there. Which, yeah. look, look, well, the other two that we've loosely put on there at the moment, we'll just say, I guess, Italian Job, the original, and Speed. But yeah. I'm assuming we kind of have opened up the discussion putting Bowfinger in there somewhere, haven't we? So... Well, I'm also uh, debating because, again, in, in the last two years, uh, we've done at least one movie that neither of us were really the audience for. So it might be fun. Again, we may end up going because, like, I love Speed. I love the original Italian job. Um, but just for variety, maybe I don't know if we can find a movie that's celebrating an anniversary that's a dirty dancing type movie where we can, you know, shake it up and <laughs> see uh, something that we're not really the audience for. But I guess we'll, we'll leave that one up in the air. We should, we should probably do a, um, cause I feel like we focus on like 20 years and older. Like we should maybe do like a 10 year old movie or a 15 year old movie, just like, you know, on that category, because, mm. you know, I, I guess kind of, it's fun to do the older ones when, you know, some of these ones are newer ones, but you know, 10 year anniversary, there's a few coming out, I guess, uh, what, 2009 films. I'm sure we could find something there. Do you see them right now? Let's just no. quickly take a look. <laughs> While we're on the line here, and we're stalling for uh, time. This, this, is, um, this is perfect. What have we got no, here? I, I, I Avatar? <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? That could be a fun one to do, because 
I, I'm not a fan of Avatar at all. I don't know if you've ever I've, seen it. I've only I saw it at the movies, and I've never watched it again since because like I came out of it going like, okay, that was okay, but I wasn't blown away like everyone. I'm like, how is this the number one film ever? Because you know everyone's saying it's so groundbreaking. I'm like, is it though? Like, it's not that special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd be up for maybe including Avatar, fifteenth uh, anniversary. Uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, Matrix Reloaded, Bruce Lee. There's so many sequels in 2003 that it's like you can't do the sequel without doing the originals. So other ones uh, in 2009. Or sorry, I'm looking got... at the wrong year. Sorry, it's 2019 now. <laughs> so 2004, you need. I'm looking at yeah, Sherlock Holmes, Orphans, the Star Trek reboot, and Glorious Bastards, uh, The Hangover, uh, District Nine. That's ten years old. Wow, The Blind Side. That's one not really in our. Oh, that's a good movie though. Uh, Knowing a Nicolas Cage movie, um, GI Joe, Terminator Salvation. Um, yeah, there's not. 2009 wasn't the most brilliant year of movies, was it? <laughs> so we possibly got um, Avatar on the table, but we'll see. But we definitely know that True Lies and. Um, uh, Galaxy supposed to be locked. Which one are we going to do first? Oh, gosh. I almost want to do Galaxy Quest first just because we've been, that's one that we've always wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking at 2004, though. Day After Tomorrow, any excuse to do that? The Passion of the Christ, oh. that would be a dangerous one to do. Um, closer, because I know you hate Natalie Portman. But Van Helsing? Van Helsing, yeah. It's the original Saw. Oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I hate that movie. Um, Troy, the Terminal. Oh, I love that movie. I almost yeah. wish we could do the two Notebook. Why don't we do the Notebook? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw about like okay, half so- an hour of that. I think when I was at Mallory's mum's house when I was in Canada, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this movie? Like, this is so bad." <laughs> um. No. I okay. So we're we're putting possibly Avatar and the Notebook on the table. Uh, which oh, I think God. could be a good change of pace, you know. So instead of all Speed of our... and the Italian Job, two movies that we would enjoy, we're doing <laughs> Avatar and The Notebook. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll debate on that, but um... oh, can we not do like Napoleon Dynamite? Look at that, The Village, White oh, Chicks, Mean Girls, Fifty I'm First starting Dates. To think that, I'm starting to think we need a couple of months for Bad Movie Month. <laughs> We don't have the time this year. You're having twins. God damn it! Like, oh, we got <laughs> Star you tell Wars the too. uh maybe we could find a way to do some bonus episodes or something like that but we'll see anyways that's it bad movie month is over and i'm happy we're doing galaxy quest next week we want to talk a little bit about that because we've just suffered through three movies that tried really hard to be funny that didn't succeed and one movie that was funny for all the wrong reasons now we finally get to watch something that tries to be funny and is funny and this is Oh, I, I may I probably go as far as to say, even though the Santa Claus is pretty much tied with Die Hard and you know White Christmas is like my favorite Christmas movie of all time, I'd go as far as to say that Galaxy Quest is my favorite Tim Allen movie. Like I think it's better than Toy Story, Santa Claus, anything. Uh, I have seen this movie so many times. I mean, we've got Tim Allen, we've got Alan Rickman playing Spock, basically. We have Sigourney Weaver. We have Sam Rockwell in like his first role. Like the the cast is so huge in this movie, it's if people aren't familiar with it, you should be. It's basically a parody of Star Trek in real life, where the uh, the the actors who played the characters on an old Star Trek like TV show are just doing conventions, but then real aliens have intercepted their TV show and think they're real, so they bring them to try to save the universe. It's so good. I mean, this movie is just 
it's a perfect comedy. Um, I, I saw this opening day. It opened on Christmas Day, and I found a way to go on Christmas Day to see Galaxy Quest. And, and of course, it's Tim Allen, who we've covered lots on here. So I'm really excited for this. And you've also you forgot to mention um, one actor in it, of course, Daryl Mitchell, a favourite from Veronica's Closet, a show that we haven't talked about in a long time. So uh, just pointing that out. Um, I never saw this in the movies. It was just one of these ones I think Dad and I got when it came out. But, like, this is a movie that I would just watch constantly and always rent. It's just such a great movie. And I'm so happy that this kind of over the years has really developed just this huge cult following now because... It really is. Like, you often see this talked about, um, you know, as one of the best comedies of all time. And it kind of, I, I feel at the time it didn't really have much of a, a positive reputation. Because I, mm-hmm. I remember when I saw this movie, like, when it came out, it was people like, oh, Galaxy Quest, that was stupid. Like, you know, and it had sort of bad reviews and everything from what I vaguely remember of it. But it's it's hilarious. It's so clever. And I, I love these movies where they kind of comparity a genre. This is like we talked about in Last Action Hero and things like that, where they do it and they do it well. And, um, yeah, I, up you, I'm up with you there in terms of maybe favorite Tim Allen movie. Um, you know, I do like some of his other ones that kind of people that say are terrible, but like in terms mm-hmm. of quality, like this movie's just fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to doing this one. And I think that, uh, yeah, this could be one of the funnest ones we've ever done. What is the count on Schwarzenegger movies we've covered? We've done three, haven't we? Jingle All the Way, Last Action Hero, and uh, Sixth Day. I think so this will be four three. then, right? Yeah. Which, I mean, can I, any excuse. <laughs> but can I just say, I mean, Schwartz, this podcast started with the Sixth Day. Our first episode was the Sixth Day. And it was sort of, sort of one of the excuses of doing this was so that we could cover a lot of these like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and stuff like that. And he's just a favorite of ours on here. We're about to do our fifth Tim Allen movie. Like, is there any other podcast out there that will say five? We have really? Oh, three Santa Tim- Claus movies. Yeah, yeah, because we did the three Santa Claus and we did Christmas with the Cranks. Plus, oh, um, yeah. Ross- Rossi and I did two episodes of Home Improvement on our random rewatches. Uh, so Tim Allen is officially now number one on the count of most covered uh, in in separate roles here on the Oz Network, which is crazy. Well, later, well, I guess when we do Arnie in Terminator, but they'll be on the same role. But um, mm-hmm. we'll soon be adding Anthony Daniels as potentially the most covered actor. Uh, Kenny Baker uh, later yeah. this year. Come on. Um, uh, you know. But just just to show the uh, variety and the range in Tim Allen's career, we're, we're about to cover our sixth role that the man has played and we've been doing this show for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, we nearly got nearly to the cat in the hat. So is that like yeah, five and a half go. that we've done? <laughs> it's Tim Allen Oz from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Toz. Toz. That will be coming next week. We're going to get into good stuff soon. We're sorry for everybody who watched these movies along with us this month. But you're welcome for the Book of Henry, if nothing else. And um, make sure to uh, like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, scratch us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, and we're sorry again (laughs) for all these movies, especially for the Cat in the Hat and the Emoji Movie. My name is Colin, and we ran out of all the quotes in this movie, so I don't like sand, it's coarse, it's rough, and it's irritating, it gets everywhere. And my name is Ben. Sorry, Mr. Waterworth. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.